Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. America, the greatest country on earth. A narrative packed and sold to tiny patriots. Reinforced by every cartoon, movie, cheeseburger, and mattress sale. Guaranteed. A mythology so entrenched, our most beloved personalities urge us never to question it. Don't let anyone ever tell you that this country isn't great. This right now is the greatest country on earth. Greatest country God ever gave me. You're the greatest country in the world, I'll tell you that. America's the greatest country in the world. But what if we did question it? Now, hold on, patriots. I know what you're thinking. America's done some pretty great stuff. And you're right. We built a kick-ass democracy, walked on the moon, and we built universities so prestigious that even Taliban warlords send their kids. And they're still very patient. By the time the Cold War was waning and baby boomers were booming out their own babies, it truly felt like we were the greatest country on Earth. Now, listen, of course there's no single way to measure greatness. But one good test is how we rank in the OECD, which is basically a golf club of 36 countries, predominantly wealthy, Western, and democratic. And unlike most golf clubs, this one's got some diversity, too. America is the richest country in this club, but we're also the poorest, with a whopping 18% poverty rate. Closer to Mexico than Western Europe, 12.8 million American children live in poverty. That's almost one in five of our kids. And speaking of kids, turns out at the level of high school science, we're 19th of 36. Reading, 20th. And math, a dismal 30th. Now, I'm not that good at math, not America's fault, but that does not add up well. And neither does this. We spend more on health care than any other country in the golf club, especially out of our own private little pockets. But we live sicker and shorter lives. We're fatter. And globally, we're more likely to see newborns die. We're even behind Bosnia. But we have freedom in America, and everyone's jealous or something. The enemies of freedom. Pursuing the enemies of freedom. The enemies of freedom. And other enemies of freedom. Turns out, a lot of countries have freedoms. And while we boast about them, using our rights is a different story. Only 56% of Americans turn out to vote, while it's closer to 80% in countries like Denmark and Australia. And it's getting worse. This year, America slid on global rankings of corruption and freedom and dropped from a functional to a flawed democracy. So what, besides our economy and military, are we actually number one in? Turns out, a lot of things. Civilian gun ownership, mass shootings, TV watching, prescription drug abuse, prison population... Oh, and almost number one on environmental damage, edged out by China. It's gotten to a point where I think there are specific times and places where you can confuse America for a developing country, as elections are tampered with, water can't be drunk from taps, citizens don't trust uniformed officers, infrastructure is crumbling, and where a dual system is emerging when public services are for sale for the highest bidder. You see this in countries like Pakistan or Nigeria, where the rich don't worry about the sad state of electricity or police because, well, they have generators and private security. Or in America, where the Kardashians rent their own firefighting force. We were fortunate enough and blessed enough, and I know that not everyone has this 
luxury available to them, but we were able to get private firefighters. When health, education, and safety are increasingly privatized or driven by privilege, the truth is how great America is really depends on how rich you are. Now, I'm not saying we're Pakistan or Nigeria or any number of what we like to call developing countries, but we're not perched as high above them as we'd like to think. We got so caught up in the rhetoric about America being the greatest country on earth that we've long ignored the cracks in our system. And while a bit of patriotism is great, jingoism is dangerous, especially when it's built on old or fake news. So as we gear up for another election season where politicians tell us America is great or that it isn't and then proceed to make it worse, let's try a more truthful approach. America may once have been the greatest, but today America, we're just okay. Welcome back to Flower Politic Podcast. It is the 5th of July, year of our Lord, 2019. Going a day early because we had so much content from yesterday. As you heard by our intro, those are liberals freaking out because of tanks, which are actually Bradley fighting vehicles. There were two tanks and never were displayed because such a pushback of seeing tanks was hurting the sentimentalities of the weak and lack of serving Democrats. And that was the New York Times. It goes like this. America is the greatest country on earth. It's a phrase, a slogan, a dogma for patriots. And as we stare down the barrel of an upcoming election, we're prepared to hear the refrain echo. In the video op-ed above, we argue the myth of America is the greatest nation on earth is the best outdated and at worst wildly inaccurate. Comparing the United States of America on a global indicators reveal we have fallen well behind Europe and share more in com- common with developing countries. The New York Times, the gray lady, journalist, had to do what liberals do on the 4th of July, any major holiday, Thanksgiving, they have to shit on it. Just days before celebration of our nation's birthday, the New York Times tried to rain on our 4th of July parade. The Great Lady posted a video op-ed on July 2nd along with the message, The Myth of America is the Greatest Nation on Earth, blah, blah, blah. The video spends almost five minutes explaining why America isn't so great, interspersed with cheesy stock footage, movie clips, and animation trying to drive home its point. The video narrator calls the concept of America being the greatest country on Earth a narrative packed and sold to tiny patriots. This is a mythology so entrenched our most beloved personality urges us to never question it. Even gasp. Liberal luminaries like Michelle Obama have fallen prey to this awful lie. Except Michelle Obama said, greatest country once we had a black president. Before then, we were a shit-ass country. We weren't very good because we didn't have a black president. Yeah. The New York Times does acknowledge a few things as great. The U.S. built a kick-ass democracy, walked on the moon, and we built universities so prestigious that even Taliban warlords send their kids. Of course, they would tout our liberal university indoctrination system, mislabel our democratic republic as a democracy, and avoid mentioning how we're 
undefeated world wars. They lecture that we're number one in healthcare, spending per capita. I'm not reading the last. You heard it. Yeah. Their tweet, New York Times, the midst of, of America as the greatest nation on earth is the best outdated, worst wildly inaccurate. If you look at data, the U.S. is really just okay. Dana Loesch. Hating your own country and the in, in, inimitable nature of its freedom to own the cons. But it spurred me to look, before we go into all the other media, just shitting on the country, because we have a Democratic president, or a Republican president, excuse me. There was a time that America was awesome. It was under a Democrat. Here's a media flashback. Democratic Congressman John Lewis was a prominent foot soldier in the civil rights struggle of the 1960s. This morning, he is at our NBC News Bureau in Atlanta. And Professor Lonnie Guineer, professor of law at the University of Pennsylvania and the controversial one-time nominee to head up the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division, also joins us this morning here in New York. Good morning to both of you and happy Fourth of July. Congressman Lewis, we hear the stories of discrimination in education and housing and jobs all the time. We hear the violence between races. Do you think it's possible that America is simply an inherently racist place? Now, I think America is in the process of becoming. We still have the scars and stain of racism deeply embedded in the American society. Well, even then they said we kind of suck, don't they? Salon, 4th of July, ugly truth exposed, the Declaration of Independence is sexist, racist, and prejudiced. Huh. Wow. Happy 4th of July. Teen Vogue, racism and patriotism go hand in hand from their article. Then there's the American anthem, the Star Spangled Banner, was written by a slave owner, Francis Scott Key, who referred to African Americans as a distinct and inferior race of people with all the experience proves to be the greatest evil that afflicts a community. The National Anthem's lesser-known third standard, he wrote, No refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. There's also the phrase, The Land of the Free. Key wrote the poem that would eventually become the National Anthem in 1814 during a time when black Americans were not free. So, you know, every they just went down every song, all of them, racist. The problem with all this is we're going to hear a 22-minute soundbite, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. The media and the liberals lost their fucking mind over this parade. Most Americans support Trump's unconventional 4th of July. It was 52%, but of course, only 27% of the Democrats, because they only love America when they're in the White House. The rest of the time, America sucks. During his speech, we're going to play the ending, which was a salute to the military at the end of this block of shit. Man, they had some cool aircraft, man. We had the frickin' B-2 Spirit, F-22 Raptors, F-35s, um, F-18 Hornets. We had a VH-92 slated to become the Marine One, Ospreys, Apaches. I mean, it was pretty fucking cool. And there was about 100,000 people that showed up. And promptly, the left said, this is photoshopped. It was fake. They automatically said it was all fake. Because they were really upset that people showed up. And it wasn't even remotely what they said it was going to be. But you couldn't hear that in the media. Once again, this is just the best of the best. 
22 minutes, so you can fast forward if you don't want to get too sick, of them saying everything they could think of, of how evil it is that Trump was going to salute America. The president was inspired by what he saw in France's Bastille Day two years ago. But the president's vision bears a closer resemblance to the chest-thumping displays put on by authoritarian regimes like China. For his part, Vladimir Putin of Russia has kept up the Soviet tradition of holding parades in Moscow's Red Square to show off his country's military. They're the same kind of theatrics that his Soviet predecessors used as propaganda during the Cold War all choreographed to project military might, even as they fought a losing battle with the world of ideas. And as those dictators would observe the proceedings while flanked by their top military brass, President Trump now intends to do the same. This is not what we normally think as a a democratic display of our values, but rather the values of power, of might-making right, of dictatorships in so many cases historically. Well, that's true, but I'm also struck by just the tacky narcissism of it and how thoroughly annoying it is that the president of the United States needs to take over what was was really one of my favorite holidays where we celebrated being American. It's not about defeating the Brits. It was about declaring our values on the 4th of July. That's what we did in Philadelphia. What's this got to do with it? What well, have, have big tanks got to do with it? Nothing. And this is nauseating, Chris, because this is not just obnoxious tackiness. This is actually dangerous because it's fundamentally un-American. It politicizes a nonpartisan celebration of we the people of our Declaration of Independence. And it also misunderstands the fundamental nature of our military might. Well, Kim Jong-un has been doing this stuff for years. His grandparents and his father all did it, too. It didn't didn't impress the rest of the world. We knew it was a lousy country that had done nothing right. The people were starving, and their leaders were living well. The trouble is, like saluting, Reagan started that. Civilian leaders shouldn't have to salute military leaders. They take orders from the civilians. That's how our government works. Reagan started doing that in Hollywood style, saluting a very nice salute. He learned it in Hollywood. And now all the presidents ever since then have been saluting in the military. Why are they saluting? They're civilian leaders. They're not in the ranks. They're not in the chain of command. They're the boss because they were elected, not because they worked their way up the military. We'll turn now to that growing backlash over President Trump's 4th of July plans. A parade, a concert, and a show of military force taking place in the nation's capital. These tanks are on their way from Fort Stewart, Georgia, by rail. The president says it's to honor the military, but there are questions about just how much it will cost and whether his speech from the Lincoln Memorial will will turn the holiday into a partisan event. In recent years, 4th of July on the National Mall has been a tribute to universal American themes. The Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, a star-spangled civic hymn. This year, by design, it will be much more about him. And I'm going to be here, and I'm going to say a few words, and we're going to have planes going overhead, the best fighter jets in the world, and other planes, too. And we're going to have some tanks stationed outside. The president, delighted by the Bastille Day parade he attended in France, is now bringing something similar to Washington. Flyovers featuring the F-35 and probably Air Force One. Near the stage, it's VIPs who get the best view for a spectacle that has some critics concerned. The president's hijacking the holiday, putting politics over patriotism and forcing taxpayers to foot the bill. One Democrat deriding it as a vanity project. Mr. President... How about a hot dog and a hamburger rather than an extravaganza that divides the country? 
Donald Trump has hijacked the nation's previously nonpartisan Fourth of July celebration, and the Republican National Committee and Trump campaign are confirming today that, yes, they are distributing special tickets to top donors and other allies who will have access to prime, cordoned-off areas that will be closed to the general public. Trump has also ordered tanks to the streets of Washington to mark the occasion. You can see them there. There will also be fireworks. There will be troops, a military flyover complete with fighter jets, and, of course, a speech by Donald Trump. In short, on the day the nation is supposed to be celebrating its independence, the president is using basically the full force of the U.S. government and the military in his role as commander-in-chief to throw what sure looks like a partisan re-election rally on public space complete with VIP seats for his high-dollar donors. Joining me now, longtime political reporter Charlie Pierce, writer at large for Esquire. You know, Charlie, Nixon did something somewhat similar, tried to do something similar as a flop, but I, since then, have you? this is not... We don't do this, right? I'm not crazy that this is very, very, very weird. No, not at all. This is vaudeville with depleted uranium shells. I mean, it, it, it's it's and it, this. I mean, the guy has been the tackiest person in 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 public life for about 40 years now, and now he's got his hands on the U.S. military. So yeah, we're going to have this incredibly tacky spectacle. Uh, in front of Abraham Lincoln, who may very well get down off his chair and walk out of the memorial rather than be a part of this. This is the new reporting today. The Park Service is going to divert two and a half million dollars in park fees, which are meant for the, uh, uh, you know, primarily intended to improve park access across the country to cover the cost, which I think won't, won't be the total cost. There'll be more than that. But I just I, I can't quite I can't quite think that the RNC donation part is okay in any way like how is it that you use a public event and then make it essentially a donor perk for the rnc well i wonder i wonder how many of the uh the people who are getting the vip tickets will be staying in the trump hotel if they're coming from out of town uh i would not be surprised if there was a special uh donators you know donors rate for for a holiday donors rate at the trump tower or the trump plaza or the trump whatever it is uh the trump xanadu uh no this is i mean this is extraordinarily cheap and tacky and grifty and the speech is going to be dreadful uh and there's all kinds of catastrophes they're not sure if the bridges over the potomac can handle the tanks they're doing a flyover of f-35s which have god knows how many problems you know, inclu including the the inability to eject without beheading yourself. Uh, plus, it is apparently going to rain. So, I mean, we could be looking at one of the great clusters of all time. Well, and the other thing about it to me is I think there's been a sort of slowly dawning awareness as we got an announcement this week the president raised $105 million in the quarter of just what it means for him to run this time as an incumbent. And his, I mean, you know, Kellyanne Conway, the rare rebuke of her for, for hatch hatch violations and the special counsel saying she should be fired. The president using his role as commander in chief to order up tanks for this event that sure looks like campaign rally. It's to me a little bit of a preview of what he can do with the power of incumbency to essentially run the presidency as a reelection shop. Well, he, I mean, he's already been running the, the presidency as a, as, as a profit making uh Device running the running the, the the presidency as a as you know a, using the American military as set decoration for your reelection campaign. Uh, that's that's a walk in the park compared to what he's been doing. Uh, I, you know, I mean, this is what happens when everybody abdicates their responsibility. 
where are the fiscally the the the, the scions of fiscal discipline in the Republican Party? Uh, well, they're all on MSNBC making angry noises, but nobody in real power is doing anything about this. Well, there's also uh, uh, there's also clearly been some pushback from the Pentagon. I will say behind the scenes because this is well, now I mean, the I've, second, third time he's tried this. Well, not just that, but I've talked to some people who who've been in the military, uh, not at a, a very high level, but at you know a grunt level. Soldiers hate this stuff. Yeah. I mean, they've got to get inspection ready. They've got, yeah. you know, it's the 4th of I, July. They should be home with their families. Instead, they've got to get inspection ready. They've got to stand out in the uniform. It's, you know, even if yep. it rains, it's going to be 90 degrees. I, I've been reading. It's I've a miserable experience. Yes, I've been reading the complaints online. Charlie Pierce, thank you for being with me tonight. Ahead, absolutely monumental news tonight as the Trump administration announces they will not try to include the citizenship question on the 2020 census. The latest coming up. Plus- Mark, uh, give us some perspective here. How, how unusual is it to have a military display and, and for a president to speak from the mall in the, in the way that he is reportedly going to on Independence Day? Unprecedented or not? Well, like almost everything this president does, uh, this is unprecedented. This is the kind of military display that we were used to seeing from the Soviet Union on Red Square on May Day. This is a president who very much wants to be seen as a strongman, not only to his own citizens, but to citizens of the world. So it's not surprising that Donald Trump would want to do a display like this. The historian put it out well. When I think of tanks and troops walking down the, in the, down the middle, it's, I'm thinking Red Square, um, North Korea, Egypt, um, not the United States. Seeing tanks on the mall has the appearance that Washington is an occupied city. We put tanks on the street when there is a civil uprising, when there is a calamity of some type. There is not. And Donald Trump doesn't get that this is not a symbol of pride or of uh, American, but that this is a deeply disturbing sign that he is politicizing the military and militarizing the policy. It will include fighter jets, tanks, and a rally. For the first time in nearly 30 years, there will be a military parade in Washington, D.C. Now, critics accuse President Trump of using the military firepower as a political prop. We have so much to talk about with Maggie Haberman. Let's bring her in. She's the White House correspondent for The New York Times and a CNN political analyst. Maggie, happy fourth to you. To you. Okay, so the president is get, finally getting what he wants. He's been enamored of this idea since he saw the big military parade in France. This is what, it's been pointed out, North Korea does, what Russia does. Do we have any reporting on how much this will cost the taxpayers? Uh, no, we have gotten some indications that $2.5 million was, and the Washington Post reported this first, have confirmed this, um, in diverting park service fees to pay for this. But the reality is we don't know how much this is going to cost. We don't know how much it's going to cost in terms of tickets, in terms of other, other you know, street closures, and, and there's going to be all sorts of associated costs. Look, you noted it, this is the first time in 30 years. There have been other people who have used the military. There have been other presidents who have used the military, but none who have done it. And it's important to note that when President Trump is not the first person to ever do something, I think we tend to treat everything as if it's new with him. It's not, but it is the way in which he is going about it. It is the fact that um, he is a president who simultaneously praises authoritarians, um, has done all kinds of things to sort of um, try to maintain good associations with people who use military might in a way that is not the way democracies do. So I think that is where it becomes a problem for him. You are correct. He has been, you know, fantasizing about this for a very, very long time, even, frankly, 
prior to that Bastille Day event, he wanted to do something like this at his inauguration. So for him, this is a dream come true. Except for the facts that tanks won't be moving. Correct. They'll be parked. He would love it if they could actually be rolling down Pennsylvania Avenue. But the city yeah. council shut that down, right? It the is. Washington, D.C. Yes. The, the, the theatrics would have been... I think more appealing to him, but as it is, there are going to be fire, uh, you know, fighter jets overhead, and I think that he loves that visual. I was with him at that uh, that Bastille Day event, and the the he he was like it was like watching a kid with a with a new Lego set. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. That, that's a perfect image there. Another aspect that's controversial here is the fact that the RNC and the Trump campaign are being given these VIP tickets, so donors and political cronies or, or political acolytes will be able to get in there and get seats. And again, this is an issue. Only insofar as this is supposed to be an apolitical celebration of America. And it also matters very much if there are federal dollars being used, if the president uses this speech in any kind of political way. Look, the president, um, and I was thinking about this, knowing we were going to talk about this, um, you know, the question of will the president give a political speech? The president gives, has one speech that he gives pretty much, and he gives it in almost every setting that he's at, whether it is a rally or whether it is in front of the CIA uh, wall of stars. I mean, this is this is what he does. So I assume you are going to hear, if not something totally overtly political, you will hear criticism of his critics. You will hear um, a celebration of self in terms of how he sees his accomplishments. And I think that is where it becomes very complicated. You know, the the that combined with the tickets to donors, these are the kinds of things that elected officials traditionally have tried to avoid appearances with, have tried to avoid any su- suggestion that they are doing something improper to reward people with what is, as you know, it's supposed to be an apolitical thing. Um, we'll see what he says, but I, I, I suspect it's going to be a variation of what we've heard before. So while all this extravaganza is happening in Washington, D.C., what is happening on the southern border, many people feel is a show of a lifetime. Joining me now is Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser and Democratic D.C. Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton. Welcome to both of you. Thank you, Andrea. Madam Mayor, first of all, what is the logistical challenge for the district? Well, for us, and the Congresswoman and I both are uh, proud to be the the seat of the federal government. The 700,000 Washingtonians support federal government events each and every year, all year long. Uh, And we are also... um, celebrate the nation's 4th of July celebration. So for us, um, changes to the way the events have traditionally happened mean our police force uh, has to change. We have to communicate to the you know thousands of people who come down to the National Mall each and every year uh, how to be safe. Uh, that, those are the, the basic logistics. Uh, we have the added element of the air show uh, and its impacts on air travel uh, to Washington uh, that we had the Park Service confirm earlier in the week. So those are a number of the things that we're worried about. Uh, It's going to be a hot day. Uh, We could have some tough weather. Uh, And so the message that we're sending everyone is to plan ahead and be safe. And one of the things that the president tweeted today was the cost of our great salute to America tomorrow will be very little compared to what it is worth. We own the planes. We have the pilots. The airport is right next door, Andrews. All we need is the fuel. We own the tanks and all. Fireworks are donated by two of the greats. Nice exclamation point. Your comment? Uh, well, we, we don't think that the Park Service, uh, we have a lot of needs for the Park Service right here in Washington, D.C., on federal land uh, and the land adjacent uh, to our neighborhoods. So we want the federal government to focus on making sure that those parks are great for people, that their fountains work 
they not all do, um, that their hours support what people want. So there are a lot of costs. Um, I know that that number just came out. We don't know what our total local costs will be. Uh, if we have extraordinary police costs, for example, we will seek that reimbursement uh, from the federal government if there are demonstrations and protests um, that sprout up around these activities. Those are additional police costs as well. Uh, so we don't know what our total costs are yet. And uh, Congresswoman, the Pentagon officials have also been asked to participate, to be there on the mall, on the stage in front of the Lincoln Memorial for what is the first presidential address on July 4th, I believe since Harry Truman during wartime, during the Korean War. Uh, what about that? Joe Dunford, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and a lot of the vice chairs are coming, uh, the acting defense secretary, Mark Esper. What about concerns among some in the military that this is politicizing and uh, politicizing the military, which is not supposed to be politicized? Uh, indeed. <laughs> we started with politicizing the entire event. Now we're going to militarizing uh, the entire event, uh, surrounded, of course, uh, by uh, military officials and all that you might expect, maybe at a military event. The president first tried Veterans Day, got chased away from that by his own Pentagon, who indicated how much it would cost to, to, to repair the city's streets after these tanks rolled down them. Now he is on the mall. There are only two real events in our country which have never been politicized. One is Veterans Day. He found he couldn't politicize that, so he said, here he comes again for July 4th. July 4th is about going to the Palisades Parade here in Washington, D.C. Thank you very much. <laughs> Shout out to my own little neighborhood. <laughs> which is a neighborhood parade. Uh, I'll be there just walking down the street. There'll be no sign saying both Ellen Holmes Norton. And he won't have a sign saying anything either. But the president has announced that he is running for office. He has got to be be very scrupulous as to how he handles himself, particularly at events that are not campaign events. He has converted this into a campaign event for all uh, for all uh, purposes. Already, I am I'm calling upon the uh, interior appropriators uh, to make sure that the district gets paid. Among the things he said, he said, you know, we own the planes, etc. He didn't mention security costs. Imagine what the costs will be for a president to be on the mall. Leave aside the other security costs with people on the mall. Insert into that the president and dozens of other type level, level public officials and you can see the cost of the federal government will be immense and of course the city will provide, be providing with its own police some additional security. Madam Mayor, the congresswoman has already posted that the city has not been repaid $7.3 million of the costs from the Trump inaugural. Right. And that's unusual. Uh, sometimes in, in years past, if the inauguration costs go over the budget, and the president's budget always has the cost pretty low, um, and we've always been reimbursed for any of the costs. But we know that they raised some $40 million or more dollars. $100 million over $100 million over inauguration costs right. for them private. Uh, so we will continue to work um, with the Congress. We will continue to uh, seek the reimbursement in uh, our request um, to the federal government uh, and, and expect that it will be worked out. What about traffic? Having been down on the mall for yeah. past July 4th, uh, it's my favorite holiday, is it's very difficult 
even to get everybody moved out, whether whatever Metro does, All right. cars. Well, we're asking people not to drive, um, to use the Metro, and um, Metro does a very good job of getting thousands of people out uh, very quickly. Uh, the the other thing that's different about this event, Andrea, is that um, there's a second location, uh, and there's also a second location for fireworks. So we're asking people to uh, expect more street closures. But I I also uh, agree with the Congresswoman's sentiment that this has been a nonpartisan, fun family event where people come from all walks of life, from all points of this region uh, in the world uh, to celebrate uh, the fireworks. So we 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 hope that the president will stick to that uh, and not turn it into that. Uh, and we hope, too, that we never see the spectacle of our military uh, force being on display um, as a show of force to our own people. Madam Mayor, thank you very much. I know you've got a lot of work to do in the next 48 hours, and we all hope for a safe thank and happy fourth for all of us. And I know I'll be seeing you at the parade. <laughs> I'll that be was there. Oh, great. I'll be seeing both of you tomorrow. Of course. <laughs> July, the Fourth of July has never traditionally focused on the military, that's and right. that's why this seems so awkward because it's not something we as a nation are used to doing on the Fourth of July. Clearly, we celebrate our independence, but military parade is not what we do in this country. Uh, for lack of a better word, it's very Soviet. Um, and clearly, what the president saw in France last year has stuck with him. Exactly but this is something that they do in France on Bastille Day. It's typically not something we do on the Fourth of July, regardless of who's in office. And the piece that we are forgetting, exactly what she just said, this was what something that the president saw. It was about bolstering himself up, looking like a dictator from another nation um, or a time that's forgot. But here's another issue. Um, on 4th of July, we have seen this in Washington. The president's prior presidents have had military personnel come and sit on the South Lawn and watch the fireworks. We've seen military Good evening, David. Welcome to a hot and humid steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Over my shoulder, you see the Army Band, formerly known as Pershing's Own, part of the pageantry here. They're working through their rehearsals. To my left, you see one of two Bradley Infantry vehicles, part of the militarized pageantry. You know, when the president talked about the show, that's an important word because this is his show, stage managed for weeks by the White House. Of the cost, and there will be many, the president said, well, there'll be very little compared to what this is all worth. We have one figure that's worth noting. Reportedly, the National Park Service will have to use $2.5 million in user fees from other national parks to help defray some of the costs here. Some military planes flying in from as far away as California, the acting secretary of defense on hand and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And I'm going to be here and I'm going to say a few words. The president's opponents fear he's turning a traditionally nonpartisan event into a Trump-focused campaign-style rally. I don't think he understands this is America's birthday, not his birthday. The event is free, but the White House has given VIP tickets to the Republican National Committee. And can I just, you mentioned, you know, France and Kim Jong-un, who, you know, Donald Trump greatly admires Kim Jong-un. He sort of aspires to be sort of a mini, you know, Putin or Kim Jong-un. He wants to be that, have that kind of absolute power. He claims Kim Jong-un's people just adore him. Well, they have no choice because he'd throw them in a gulag and probably kill them. Mm -hmm. um, but you think about the Bastille Day celebration. What is that celebration about? What is the message that's meant to be sent by the military uh, armada that's rolling down the streets of Paris? It's a message to tyrants. What Bastille Day, support, uh, you know, represents is the 
victory over tyrannical rule over the king and over the attempt for the king to return. The storming of the Bastille was about victory over tyrants. What is the message when Kim Jong-un rolls tanks down the streets of his capital? The message is to democracies. It's the message is to people like us, to Western democracies. You better be careful because we, the unified Korean, North Korean people, will defeat you. We have nukes. Be afraid of us. So what is the message Donald Trump is trying to send by rolling tanks down Constitution Avenue? Who is that message to? It's certainly not to tyrants because they like tyrants. He loves tyrants. It's not to Putin. It's not to Kim Jong-un. It's not to the Saudis. Is it to our friends? Western democracies who he doesn't particularly like? Or is it to us? Is it to the resistance in this country? I got tanks. I have this military armada. The message is a threat. But it's always a threat when you roll out your military. But it's to whom is the threat? And I suspect that the threat is to his fellow Americans. And I hate to say that, but I think that Donald Trump styles himself a tyrant, not a defeater of tyrants. By the way, the there was some positive out there at the end of all of that, from tin pot dictators to we look like North Korea, Fox and Friends, which I don't watch, my wife does. They had some good points that, you know, if Obama brought tanks, they think that was okie dokie. On flatbed trailers last night, these are Bradley fighting vehicles. There will also be two U.S. Army M1 Abrams battle tanks arriving. The tanks took a train all the way from Fort Stewart in Georgia to a rail yard in Washington, D.C. But once here, the question was how to get them to the Lincoln Memorial here. These two tanks weigh about 30 tons each, but the Abrams tanks weigh about twice as much of that. So the question was, do they go, do they take the bridge? Will they be too heavy to drive? Drive directly on the road. So they did arrive by flatbed trailer, uh, but they did need a crane to actually get over an overpass because they were too tall to cross under it. They eventually will be rolled up here to the Lincoln Memorial behind me where the president will be speaking. There will also be flyovers. The event will include B-2 stealth bombers, F-22 Raptor, and F-35 stealth fighter. Of course, the Blue Angels, Marine One, and Air Force One will also fly over. Uh, they, it will also have the longest and largest fireworks show that the Capitol has ever seen. The National Park Service has reportedly set aside $2.5 million to fund this big celebration, but the fireworks themselves are free because the president tweeted that they've been donated. Back to you. Thank you so much, Hillary. Thanks, right. So are the tanks going to stay in the trailers, or are they going to actually roll in the streets? Well, because so many people complained about it, they were worried about the streets and the sidewalks, believe it or not, because they're so massive, that the president or the administration decided to bring them in on those flatbeds. And then when they got to an overpass, it was too tall to go under. It would have knocked over the bridge. So they brought in a crane, and they lifted it over into the air, over ah. the bridge, and dropped it on the <laughs> other side. All right. It has our colleagues in the media quite upset about it. Well, How do you know? Well, we put together a montage clip just for our viewers and for you to see. Watch. And this is nauseating, Chris, because this is not just obnoxious tackiness. This is actually dangerous because it's fundamentally un-American. The message is a threat. I suspect that the threat is to his fellow Americans. And I hate to say that, but I think that Donald Trump styles himself a tyrant. I think more of a sign of his just neediness and his insecurity. And there's, there's a certain silliness about this as well as obnoxiousness. Critics concerned the president's hijacking the holiday, putting politics over patriotism and forcing taxpayers to foot the bill. Fourth of July on the National Mall has been a tribute to universal American themes. This year, by design, it will be much more about him. For lack of a better word, it's very Soviet. It was about bolstering himself up, looking like 
a dictator from another nation. They say the same thing about just different. They say the same thing every day. Just move the topic. Right. They find everything that he does just so repulsive and so ridiculous and so overblown. Shouldn't this be a bipartisan issue? We're celebrating America. Well, in a way that we haven't done before, the president's going to make a speech. The president doesn't usually make a speech. He says it's not going to be about politics. It's going to be about the country. But some have pointed out that some VIP GOPers might be in the front row or get uh, favor, uh, you know, good seats. Yeah, and we had earlier on the show Leroy Petrie, Middle of Honor recipient, talking about really what this day means to him. I think about our Vietnam veterans who went and fought an unpopular war and came back to an ungrateful country. And I look at it as our president is doing this to recognize the sacrifices of many service members and military that are serving today and their families. I joined prior to 9-11 and, and it was a time of peace and mm-hmm. you didn't get a lot of thank yous and to, to even get one it meant a lot and to get a big one recognized across the country it's amazing. We'll see how it comes out. The president's taking, you know, saying we're going to change things a little on the 4th of July. I don't know if you noticed but the president tends to be a disruptor. Uh, he tends to do things his way. So we'll continue to... And he to... does it in a massive, big way. You yeah. saw on our screen, it wasn't, it's not just a few fighter jets that are going to be in the air. It was like a whole... It was, air, it was like six fleet. different aircraft. Yeah. It's awesome. Right. I love it. I so love we, So what we did is we asked you, are you proud to be an American? Because the New York Times says we're just okay. We, we think too much of ourselves. We and used the, to be great. Now right. we're just okay. And a Gallup poll said that only 45% of Americans are extremely proud Uh, to be an American. What does Drew think? Drew says, I may not have served, but I love America for all her perfection and her flaws. And Ali says, it's an honor to be in this country where our freedom has been paid in full with the blood of our own. And Kevin says this, as an immigrant who became a citizen, I'm more than proud to be an American. So where do you stand? Weigh in. You're going to see a lot of red, white, and blue on this channel, Unabashed Patriotism. At six minutes after the hour, another poll was done. It said, hey, what do you care about, Mom? D.C. gets you fired up. It gets you excited because you think about our military and that represents America. But you've had critics. There are so many critics out there that are saying, oh, it's going to ruin the sidewalks. It's going to you know, damage our right. roads. I'm like, what? I have always said, though, keep the tanks off the sidewalks. That's always been my pet peeve. <laughs> that's your motto. Uh, that's true. Here, here's a little of the here's some critics saying that they're making this too partisan. And this is nauseating, Chris, because this is not just obnoxious tackiness. This is actually dangerous because it's fundamentally un-American. The message is a threat. I suspect that the threat is to his fellow Americans. And I hate to say that, but I think that Donald Trump styles himself a tyrant. I think more of a sign of his just neediness and his insecurity. And there's, there's a certain silliness about this as well as obnoxiousness. Critics concerned the president's hijacking the holiday, putting politics over patriotism and forcing taxpayers to foot the bill. Fourth of July on the National Mall has been a tribute to universal American themes. This year, by design, it will be much more about him. For lack of a better word, it's very Soviet. It was about bolstering himself up, looking like a dictator from another nation. So I guess they're against it. I'm sensing it's going to be a little bit different. The president wants to salute the military and salute the veterans. He wanted a military parade. Mattis said, you know, it'd be too, too costly. It's going to, uh, he's asking the Parks Department to give him $2.3 billion or million, excuse me. Uh, they want to get an exact uh, He loved it because on. when he went to France for Bastille Day, he saw what they do over there, and he's like, mm-hmm. we need to have a celebration like this. This is awesome. Never expected the critics 
never expected for people to say we shouldn't have a parade like this. It's yeah. hard to get to the Soviet criticism. I'm not sure exactly what she was what thinking about there. What would they say if President Obama had done this, had brought in tanks? Hey, look, you know, here's the, for the critics out there, we're going to see what happens. It's going to go down, and the president says he's not going to make it about himself, even though he's been accused of it. Let's see if it is a beautiful celebration on the 243rd yeah. uh, celebration. Leo Pet- uh, Petrie is a Medal of Honor recipient. He responded to... I think it comes back to the fact that they hate America. They just do. A huge percentage of GOP voters, extremely proud to be American, under a Gallup poll, only 45% respondents said they were extremely proud. Unsurprisingly, only 22% of respondents claimed they were Democrats agreed with that sentiment. 76% Republican. 41% of independents said they were extremely proud. Only a slight difference between men and female, men 48, women 43. But enormous chasm separated older respondents from younger ones. 63% of older over 65 said extremely, extremely proud. 24% of the 18 to 29. 70% of the respondents agreed they were simply proud to be an American. Gallup noted of the extremely proud sentiment of Americans in general, the highest reading on the measure, 69 and 70, were between 2002 and 2004, right after 9-11. But then the Democrats went to work and said the war was murder, did everything they could get in the White House, and, you know, here you are. Young kids hate them. This parade was key in point. They just lost their mind. Um, Bette Midler, Rosie O'Donnell, all of them, they just lost their mind. Amy Siskind. It's not only the tanks themselves, it's that Trump wanted this in 2017 and 18 on July 4th, and this year he's getting his way. All the work we did to counter this tyrant in the midterms, we had the majority, yet he is doing anything he wants. And that's what it was. They were pissed that he was going to do it. Bill Crystal, Crystal, a supposed conservative. Here's how the National Park Service director should satisfy President Trump's request to station tanks and other armored military vehicles on the mall. He shouldn't. Edward Luce, cost of Mueller report was $35 million, which is about half the cost of the July 4th parade. That's, that's a lie. Dr. Gina Grayson, what the RNC is giving out tickets funded by our tax dollars. There was VIP tickets. Obama did that. You had no problem. Danny Zucker, quick reminder, with one call, Trump could rush soap and blankets and toothbrush to the border. Instead, he's doing his parade. Vote vets, which is the minority, by the way, because I looked at most vets were like me. I had one tweet go into the fucking hundreds of retweets and likes by saying it was nice to see them really salute the military, because that's what it was. They say July 4th has never been about who is president. The idea that Donald Trump can sell VIP tickets to get good seats while the regular old folks have to stay back from the arena is antithetical to the whole idea of America. Michelle McFall, this is so wrong. The whole reason we declared our independence was to protest such inequalities. Trump should have his private 4th of July party at his house. John Kirby, he ordered military flowers for his big speech on the 4th. Now, according to Washington Post, Trump is pushing for military tanks. Josh Dawson, Trump t- tells Poole and Oval Office there'll be tanks. I can't deal with it. Megan Mahomet Kelly Hall, if you have a hyphen name, you're a douchebag. 
I'm not celebrating the 4th this year. My celebration will be on July 17th when the country finally pays attention and listens to the man himself, Mueller. July 17th will hopefully be our independence from Trump, the worst dictator in American history. Robert Reich, a Clintonite. The power of the American presidency is affirmed in our ideals, not tanks rolling down Pennsylvania Avenue. There were no fucking tanks. Robert J. O'Neill, dear triggered Americans, these tanks are on your side. You know if they weren't. Lauren Tribe, the resemblance of days before Tiananmen Square, chilling. All these dolts rolled out Tiananmen Square. How was it chilling? Nobody was protesting and the tanks were on the back of flatbeds. They weren't rolling over people. Kyle Salmon, a new branch of stupid comparisons have emerged. He's right. Jim Acosta, ever ready to be a journalist? Ready to take flight. Baby Trump balloon. That's what he tweeted yesterday. But he's a journalist. Daily Mail, protesters will bring a 16-foot statue of Trump tweeting on a golden toilet. Are they fucking children? The media showed it, too. They were proud. They thought that was... Remember, protest is the highest form of fucking patriotism. Dissent is the highest form of patriotism. That's what they say. When you do it under a Democratic president, you're an American. Charles Blow, let this sink in. These are tanks in the nation's capital and concentration camps at the border. The drift toward unimaginable is unmistakable. Ted Liu, are military personnel violating DOD Directive 1344.10 by participating in partisan July 4th parade in D.C.? The entire world showed them that the military has always performed in July 4th parades. They did in cities all over the country yesterday. Politico, looking to watch Trump's salute to the America? Don't tune to MSDNC. They did a re-air of the Democratic debate. Does that even surprise you? Doesn't surprise me. Somebody said, well, I guess about 500,000 people will miss it because that's all that watches MSDNC. Marissa L. Lang, latest, the baby Trump loom is coming to Washington, D.C. President uh, USA Today, the baby Trump, baby Trump. CNN, baby Trump. They, they just love baby Trump. And then they were crushed when baby Trump got grounded because of the weather, but the flyovers didn't. That, that was a big thing. USA Today, President Trump's salute to America address is expected to draw ardent Trump backers, but there will also be protests, including the burning of a flag and the flying of Trump baby balloon. I'm not going to play it. They had gigantic flag-burning ceremonies. I have the sound bites. They thought that was so patriotic. Ryan Savanda, Trump drives Democrats so insane that he's getting them to burn the flag on the 4th of July while he's running for re-election. His best talent is getting his enemies to expose who they really are. And he's right. Somebody said, I detested Barack, but not once did the idea to burn the flag ever cross my mind on July 4th or any other time. Code Pink, here's the new way we're going to dump on Trump a July 4th celebration. They're back again. Yeah. For the big Salute America event in Washington, D.C. on Independence Day, which to the chagrin of the president, Code Pink will not only fly a Trump baby blimp and a bunch of Trump baby balloons, it'll be displaying the golden robot toilet. And they thought that was so edgy. But Twitter, ever the anti-American entity it is, they went straight to Twitter moments and boycott Trump 4th of July, which was outdone by salute to Trump and Trump parade was all streaming higher. These are some of the things they say. Right out the gate, 
USA Today top thing by Twitter when you go to top tweets. Storms threatened to complicate the July 4th event. They were hoping for rain. They were hoping everybody there got rained on. They they wanted it all to go away. Kemley R. Morathy. This is the worst 4th of July in history because a moron thinks he can have a 4th of July as one-man show of raw power. Big chill energy. Happy 4th with a picture of Lincoln bowing like he was embarrassed. Anthony Camacho, strange to see one of the most patriotic days of the year ruined by a sad, strange, wannabe, authoritarian douchebag. These are picked by Twitter. Top. Stay home, read the Constitution, go to local parade or celebrate of what made U.S. great, protection of rights and individuals. Just stay out of D.C. and don't participate in supporting narcissists. That was Gus Emick, M.D. The Democratic Coalition... And all PPFA, all them, they were mad tweeting. Here's just one of the Democratic coalition. Heads are spinning at the White House as Trump's July 4th shapes up to be another inauguration-level disaster. That wasn't true, but that's what they wanted. Laura Blake, there's nothing to celebrate on a country where one minority privileged class enslaves and terrorizes the masses. Nothing to celebrate about the extreme lack of class, mobility, opportunity, or basic freedoms in this country. I say move. America's so bad, get the fuck out. Katie Thomas, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shores. Send these, the homeless tempest to toss. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. God, you know, nobody cared about that fucking plaque at the bottom of the fucking Statue of Liberty until Trump became president. Parker Rush, happy fourth president. Miss you, Barack Obama. HuffPost. Boycott Trump 4th of July goes viral as celebrities, lawmakers, and thousands of other people vow to ignore the 4th of July celebration. Patricia McGaw, this looks like a poor stage scene from a propaganda film. Oh, wait. And it was a picture of a Bradley, because once again, they thought it was a tank. I'm not reading. It went on and on. There's pages of this. Uh, Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker. This statement is to be not quite as direct quotable to Eisenhower. When asked if the United States should have a military parade to show off its might, this was the President Eisenhower's response. Absolutely not. We are the preeminent power on earth, blah, 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 blah. Nazi references. I mean, they they dug as much as they can. Jim Reagan asked, what kind of people boycott a 4th of July parade honor, honoring the military? Democrats. That's who does it. Diehard actor, Robert John Davey. I ask every one of you liars, every one of you liars on CNN and MSDNC and those other networks that lie, every single liar, is Macron a dictator? Because he does a parade. It's called Bastille Day. Carol Roth, I'm so sick of everyone bitching about living in the greatest country in the history of the world and finding fault with everything. So let's flip the script. Share what you are grateful for below. I'm grateful for my freedoms and protection of them, including free speech and other individual rights for my health, my family, my friends, for constant opportunity to learn and better myself, for football, for hockey, for ice cream, and so much more. And people just came along and started taking hers off. Dan Bondingo, while we fight against socialism, fascism, and police state tyranny, liberals are busy fighting against sneakers, inanimate statues, the founding fathers, national borders, freedom, and liberty. Yeah, it's true. Article I won't read. This 4th of July, why patriotism is worth defending, or the 
haters, it's open season on America. And they just surmise everything we're going over. I mean, everything they could come up with, they came up with. That's what the fourth was to them. Bash America because the Democrats, not president. Nothing's changed in America, but there's no D in the White House. And they just shit on soldiers all the time. This is nothing new. This is what the Democrats do, progressives do. They hate the military. They love their military, Antifa, which we'll get to in a bit. But So we're going to go to music break. Uh, I want to play the flyovers. At least the a few of them. I won't play all of them because they're a little bit long. So we're going to do some flyovers. And we'll come back into Betsy Ross. Got to close the loop on that bad boy. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. What about the argument that some have made, um, this is PC culture run amok, if you will. If Nike wants to put this flag on their shoe, why are people so upset about it? 
Yeah, because, you know, words matter, symbols matter, too. Why don't we wear a swastika for July 4th? Because, I don't know, it makes, it makes a difference. The cross burning on somebody's lawn. Why don't we just have a Nike, you know, celebration of the cross? Well, because those, those symbols are symbols of hate. So we can take PC culture back. It's amazing to me the people who cry the loudest about PC are the ones who didn't show up when the, the fence first occurred, who, who didn't defend the people who were victims of white supremacy or racism or sexism or misogyny, but now pop up and say, hey, let's not be too PC. If you ain't fought the battle, if you haven't celebrated the process, you can't acclaim the product. Racial inequality is a problem in this country, and I actually understand why Colin Kaepernick stands up and, and talks about it and speaks out against it. When I look at the flag controversy, I would understand if it was a Confederate flag. I'm not so sure I understand no. right. this particular Yeah, one. I don't know because that most people see that and think about and associate it as, with a slavery. as a symbol. Yeah. yeah. And, of that. Know, I was watching TV last night and I heard arguments on both sides, but there are so many other things, to be quite honestly, in this country that we probably yeah. should be really concerned about. See both of you again before the end. Enjoy our freedom. Enjoy the fourth. Thank you for the help you give me on this show. Bakari, make the case that Nike was right to pull the shoe. First of all, it's, a, it's within Nike's prerogative to pull the shoe. These, this Republican and this faux outrage is just, it's almost laughable. I mean, look, the shoe, the flag, it represented a period of time where, with all due respect, I was three-fifths of a human being. And so that is an issue. People don't want to go back to that time. And people have an issue with it. But Nike made a business decision that they have every right to do. And so for the governor of Arizona, for, for Ted Cruz, for all of these uh, now self-righteous politicians on the right to come out and, and, and break out pitchforks for Nike... Look, they were the same people who were trying to burn Nikes a few weeks ago, and that stock just went straight up, and they had the biggest sales they've had in the history uh, when they signed Colin Kaepernick. So why don't you do that same thing again? I'm pretty sure it's going to help Nike's bottom line. But even more, they are quiet as church mice when they're talking about a president who tramples on the American flag today, who cavorts with dictators, who lets his children play government on the weekends, and now who has a humanitarian crisis on the border. So right. I don't really want to hear what you have to say about Nike. I'd rather you, you, you worry about what's going on today okay. with our American values. Steve, counter. If, if we're going to get back to Nike, though, the, the point of this segment, uh, and I think this is very important, nobody that I know of is saying that they don't have a right to make this dreadful mistake. Of course they do uh, as a private corporation. We're just saying that it's wrong, and here's why it's wrong. Nike uh, is really, I think, more, at least was, more than just a company. It was really an iconic American story. Uh, and sadly, what is becoming now is a soulless, globalist bureaucracy uh, and one that is willing to disrespect the very country, the very American exceptionalism that made its meteoric rise, its incredible story, possible. And why is it doing it? It's doing it to try to placate uh, and to supplicate itself to a bunch of woke celebrities, including a washed-up quarterback who disrespects our flag. And by the way, to that point, too, he always told us during his protest when he was taking a knee, he always told us that, oh, it's not about the flag. I'm not disrespecting the flag. I'm protesting police brutality. Well, Betsy Ross was not uh, involved in police brutality. So to 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 now <laughs> protest the flag of our founding shows us that all, all the while it was about the flag. Colin Kaepernick doesn't like this country very much. And Nike, unfortunately, is showing us... That it's willing to play ball with those kinds of people against regular patriotic Americans right. on the week of Fourth of July. Hold one, weeks. hold one second. I got a simple question: Why didn't Nike just replace the flag on the back with the fifty-star flag? Because, because it's a business decision. I mean, it's a business decision that they can make. I mean, so be it. But let, let, let's get on. I mean, Steve and I have two 
totally different views of what it means to be patriotic. We have two totally different views on what it means to be American. I love this country. I love the United States of America. And the reason I love it is because of people like Colin Kaepernick, because of people like uh, Muhammad Ali, because of people like my father, because of all of those military men and women who bled so that we would have the right to protest, so that we would have the right to speak out. And so you can call Colin Kaepernick absolutely any name that you want to call him. The fact is, Colin Kaepernick had the audacity, he had the courage to take a knee for what he believed in. And yes, he believes that this co- in this country you should not have to talk to your children if they're black or brown when they go out at night and pray for them to come home because they may have an interaction with police that goes wrong. And so y- you may have one belief that it- that is built on patriarchy or white supremacy or whatever it may be. No, no, no. I have no, another no, belief. Stop it, I have where, another where, belief. Where did white supremacy or patriarchy have I, anything? No, that is. I'm not going to let you get away with that and just throw that in. What, as if no, casually, it's, it's a, but you who have to understand about patriarchy or white because supremacy. That, because you have to understand what the founding of our country is. Do you understand that the that our country was founded on the backs of black folk? Do you understand our, our that when this was flag founded, was flying, our, our, we were three fifths of a human being? Do you our, our understand that patriarchy founded, and supremacy our, is permissive our country in our was systems founded, today? Imperfect though it is, and though it was. Uh, like any country in the world, our, our country was founded in liberty. And if you, by the way, if we want to have the standard be uh, that any flag that existed in an era of slavery, then that means any flag in the world that is roughly 200 years old uh, is, is unusable because slavery until about 200 years ago was the global norm, not just the norm of the United States. The evil of slavery. So what was does that gl- mean? Steve? Globally accepted institution. What does so that what I'm mean? Saying is, what I'm saying is that history didn't start yesterday, and so we cannot say that we are going to erase history from 200 years ago simply well, because me, there, were say in, this. there were imperfections at our founding. And what I'm saying is this, that our founding was was the most magnificent event in political history, something that is to be celebrated. Well, it, let, me just, you, let me tell you this. 400, 400 years ago, 400 years ago this year, black people came to this country. They were they came in chains. They were shackled. They did not come here uh, as anything voluntary. They came here as slaves. That is a fact. Our country was built on the backs of black folk and we built it for free. Colin Kaepernick has the right to take a knee and their military men and women around this world today that are fighting for that right so that he can take a knee and speak his free mind. Look, Nike did what they wanted to do, and and I don't have a problem with that. I do have a problem with the hypocrisy, and I do have a problem with the fact that we get tied down and bogged down in these culture wars where I find myself having to teach history lessons. This country was built on white supremacy. This country was built on patriarchy. There are people there are people there there are people who are breaking those shackles every single day to make this a more perfect this country was built on liberty and tolerance and free markets. And love and and, and reverence so for slavery, our great flag. It was slavery not built was on white liberty supremacy. and free markets. No, slavery no. is Sla- slavery is free slavery? markets and liberty. No, is slavery free markets is, and liberty. Is that a history is a, lesson? Slavery is a part of our history and a terrible part of our history. And, and again, we're, of course, we're not a perfect nation. There are no perfect nations. There's no perfect people. However, the, to say that the United States was built on white supremacy is such ludicrous rhetoric and so historically ignorant uh, that I'm appalled it's, that you would even listen, say it. I, and say it two I, days well, before be, the birthday be of our great country. And this country, by the way, appalled, is the greatest appalled, place in the world that to I be a minority. Time. And I say that as a person of color. There is no greater place to be a minority in the entire world than the United States listen. of America today. Do we have a blemish? history? Of course we do. Do we also have an amazing history? Yeah, we sure do. And we should celebrate that Betsy Ross flag. I think if Nike had any honor, it would realize that the country that made its very success possible should be honored and it should stop 
catering I, I believe, to the woke mob. I believe that, I believe, you can call it whatever mind you want to call it, I believe that oftentimes people in this country confuse patriotism with prejudice, and I dare not do that today. In fact, I am on this show tonight, and I have the ability to speak my mind because I believe in the United States of America. I believe in this country, not what it was or what it is, but what it can be. And every single day, people like Colin Kaepernick and others fight to make this a more perfect union. And so you can say what you want to say about the history of this country, and you can go back and relive when we were three-fifths of a human being, and you can go back and relive when separate was equal, but what we're going to do is fight to make this a more perfect union by acknowledging our past, understanding what it is, but not dare going back. So my hat is off to all of those people who are fighting, these politicians on the right who want to make this some new culture where they were fighting. I dare not go down that rabbit hole, but I will speak the truth, and I will speak the truth on this holiday, because that's what people fight for so that we have the right to do that. Listen, I'm fine with all of that, but hold on a second. There's just too much Kaepernick. So when they weren't shitting on the parade, the Betsy Ross stuff was still blowing up. And don't worry, I'm still going to play Trump's speech. We're going to do it at the end of our 4th of July segment. If there's one thing in the world in which we can be certain, it's that things can always, always get stupider. The current debate, if you can't call it that, since they woke lefties are upset over the Betsy Ross flag, is proof that Democratic politicians and liberal talking heads who never had a beef with the flag are suddenly spouting off about how problematic it is. But according to Vice, it's Republicans who are losing it. Vice News. Republicans are suddenly really sentimental about the Betsy Ross flag. Hmm. Oh, really? Alex Griswold, oh, screw you, the Betsy Rog flag is actually racist, huh? No, it's not. Why on earth do you believe that? I gotta say, it's mystifying to me that you are suddenly really sentimental about this flag. Bob Malik, the American flag is racist. Every sane person, no, it's not. Vice, wow, what's with all the sudden love for the flag? Just Carl, it's the soft version of Republicans pounce, and they're right. But they weren't the only ones. Rolling Stone, why is everyone so upset about the Betsy Ross flag? The headline says everyone, but the piece is focused on going after conservatives, which would explain why its author apparently had no time left to actually read what they'd written. While she had never heard of Betsy Ross flag being used by white supremacists, to be clear, the Betsy Ross flag is not nearly as recognizable symbol of white supremacists as, say, the Confederate flag. This is not a flag I see waving at events or seeing displayed on their websites, Mark Pittich says. But they go in and between six degrees of separation say that the Oklahoma City bomber had it, and this person had it, and it's so important, and white supremacist, and it's just nobody recognizes the 13-star flag as racist except for haters of America. Alex Griswold, not a great sign that the article about how the Betsy Ross flag is white supremacist symbol quote a bunch of experts saying they don't really see it being used that way. On the other hand, though, you have many on social media. The social media hyperlink goes freaking Adam Best, an anti-Semite. Marshall Herzovitz, a reporter I never heard of, utter complete fucking bullshit. The flag belongs to everyone. It doesn't matter if white supremacists try to appropriate it. Would you trash the Constitution if they try to appropriate that too? Shame on Rolling Stones and Nike. Uh, this guy said, did a deep dive into the 13-star Betsy Ross flag and how it's increasingly been accompanied to right-wing extremist groups. 
the guy Marshall Hershevitz once again. I did a deep dive into bullshit. Doesn't matter if white supremacists try to appropriate the Betsy Ross flag. It still represents the heroes who risked everything to found this country. Ben Shapiro. I hope every Democratic candidate jumps on this idiotic bandwagon. Every Democrat must denounce the stupidity of Nike's decision. Inconceivable that only conservatives would decry this ignorant debasement of our founder's symbols. Kaepernick, very right to kneel, which I support, comes directly from those who carried and died the flag. New York Times, Nike and the 13-star flag. A reader says that instead of withdrawing a new sneaker in response to controversy, Nike could have offered a teaching moment. But then they go on to say no. It's racist. WAPO. When racists try to poison our national symbols, we shouldn't just surrender. And they break it down that this is a huge racist symbol, but we should still be proud of it. David Martosco. That Betsy Ross flag sure fell out of fashion quickly. And this was all over Twitter. Obama had it up at both his inaugurations. Wasn't racist then. Article, House GOP trolls Colin Kaepernick following Nike American flag shoe controversy. NRCC, good luck, U.S. women's national team, with win this one for one of America's first strong independent women, Betsy Ross. We have no doubt you'll be more competitive on the field than Kaepernick. And it's so funny, they show Kaepernick. Show, it's a gif of him just throwing interceptions. <laughs> Other GOP got all over him. I don't want to really read all the important people. Let's just do the small people. Here's the Hodgkin twins. Never heard of them. They're black. And they sound a lot like me. Alright, so Nike comes out with this shoe. It's to celebrate 4th of July. Yeah, and it went with one of the original flags from 13 copies. Right? The shoe was clean. Yeah, it's clean, man. It got them nice 13 stars around it. got the stripes, man. It's got a, <laughs> it's got a good look to it. Yeah, it's clean, man. Right? But then Colin Kaepernick <laughs> found out about it. He reached out to Nike. Hey, it's your boy here. <laughs> hey, we go back, man. We y'all remember the ad we did together? Hey, y'all should have checked with me on this. <laughs> What's up with this damn racist ass flag? <laughs> Nike, I know what you're doing. Colin, I know what you're doing. Yeah. Y'all colluding together. This, we got some collusion. We got some collusion going. Hey, Colin, we're going to come out with these damn shoes with the 13 Collins flag. Yeah, damn, damn. I, now, look, look, Colin, follow me on this. We already know people going to call this flag racist because this, this <laughs> them damn 13 Collins is off the chain. <laughs> That's when you come in, it's like, hey, <laughs> y'all racist over there. <laughs> yeah. Y'all need to pull that shoe. That way you can stay relevant. Yeah, and that's way. Nike can look like they woke and they can continue to sell that brand to a bunch of people that hate America. That's yeah. what y'all really doing. Y'all smart. Y'all using that, what you call that, reverse psychology? Yeah. Y'all smart over there. April, wait a minute. We know that flag doesn't represent racism. We know that American flag doesn't represent racism. That flag is just one of the earlier flags of America. It's a part of American yeah. history. We can't help it what happened during those times. Yeah. It's over. Yeah. Y'all orchestrated this. Y'all could have just went with the current flag. Yeah, y'all playing this, man. This is orchestrated. This is collusion. <laughs> you need to get Muller on the case. <laughs> They're right. He just wants to look relevant, and Nike wants to look like they care about the people. Black people. 
because they know a lot of people buy their shoes that are African-American. Most of their basketball shoes are African-American. It's a marketing campaign. But it's fucking stupid. Here's two sound bites. The first one is how in Philadelphia, because of this stupid shit, they're selling out of 13 colony flags. And a little old company I love a lot, Nine Line, they said, yeah, we gotcha. We're going to do a bunch of shit with 13 fucking stars now, you fucking jackalopes. Welcome back. Growing outrage over Nike's decision to pull the Betsy Ross flagged themed shoe ahead of the 4th of July. And this morning, we're getting an important lesson of the history behind the Stars and Stripes. Yeah, history is really helpful at moments like mm-hmm. this. Fox and Friends first co-host Jillian Mealy, live from the Betsy Ross house in Philadelphia. Good, Good morning. morning. Happy Jillian. 4th. Good morning. Happy 4th, everyone. So this all began back in the year of 1776 when a woman by the name of Betsy Ross actually rented a house here in Old City, Philadelphia. This is the Betsy Ross house behind me. And as the story goes, because, you know, it's all oral history, she lived here from 1776 to 1779. At some point then was visited by George Washington, and that's where the original sketch came about. This is Scott Stevenson, who was the president and CEO of the Museum of the American Revolution, which is a few blocks away. You wanted to point out this, though, was the original design? Yeah, so it's a good reminder that the founding generation had to find a way to represent what the new nation, how it would be represented on a flag. And many of those first flags were just stars, uh, just the stripes Stripes, without without the stars. This is a copy of a flag that dates to about 1777. It's actually dark green color. Yep, it's dark green. It was actually made for a militia regiment uh, from Delaware, not too far from Philadelphia. And then we know it became, this is what it became. Right, so the stars uh, and stripes, the stripes represent the 13 states, um, as do the stars here from the flag resolution. And here they are. Okay, very cool. So there's a flag store across the street that we actually talked to one of the guys earlier this morning, and he said their sales in the last day, guys, have skyrocketed. He said people who want these flags, they want to get their hands on them. They usually sell 30 in a typical day. They sold a 1,000 yesterday. They're almost sold out. So a lot of people here in Philadelphia feeling that pride. Happy 4th, guys. Send it back to you. As they should. Thanks, Jillian. Jillian, thank you very much. And, of course, important to point out that uh, Betsy Ross was an abolitionist. She didn't believe in the institution of slavery, fought against it. It was a symbol of unity. She worked with George Washington to put it together, yet we can't put it on a sneaker. This is where we come. And you've got Democrats back. Outrage machine. Crazy. Hard at work. More Fox and Friends. (laughs) Just a couple moments away. All right, guys, let's take a minute to talk about the child that is Colin Kaepernick once again forcing himself back into the media because he deems something offensive or racist again. Recently, Nike released a shoe for the 4th of July that they apparently had the audacity to put the Betsy Ross flag on the back. We all know what flag it is right here. Deemed racist. Nike pulls it out of stores. Let's get back to a little bit of history of Nike real quick. One of Nike's co-founders, Bill Bowerman, World War II veteran, one of the original veterans of the 10th Mountain Division, awarded a silver star and four bronze stars for his efforts in the campaigns in Italy during World War II. After getting out of the military, Bowerman goes on to found Nike with current owner Phil Knight. Bowerman was his mentor and coach at the University of Oregon. Bowerman sat on the board till his death in 1999. Since then, Nike's gone way out into left field. Progressive agendas kowtowing to the likes of social justice warriors because they deem something to be inappropriate. They deem something to be racist. Unacceptable. Now here, we're all about your right to protest. We're all about your right to free speech. 
We're not about speech being suppressed because somebody finds it offensive. Yeah, I know. A lot of sound bites. It's going to be a long podcast, but there's just so much out there. But for Nine Line, love them. They make good stuff. Shit, it's a military owned. Military owned company. It's military centric. Good for them. Backlash. Boycott gains steam after Nike drops American flag shoes at Colin Kaepernick behest. Not going to read the whole article. I don't think it's actually working as good as people think they are because the counter protests, like my daughter put my grandsons on 4th of July Nike shirts, and I'm sure she did it on purpose because she's a liberal, so, you know, I, I, I'm not surprised by that. Um, I personally haven't bought Nike in quite a long time. It has less to do with their anti-American sentiments and more to do with their shoes suck. Their shoes are horrible. I've gone to Merrill and New Balance, um, and I was born and raised there. When I was a kid, uh, Nikes were the shit. I mean, you were a loser if you didn't have Nikes. I remember getting grounded because I had to wear tracks from Kmart. But they're they're horrible shoes. And their marketing is just horrible. If you want to sign up with Colin Kaepernick, a, a good quarterback for two years, and then a shitty quarterback who hates America and wears, you know, cops or pig socks, hey, great, you do that. But I won't buy your shit. The only thing that I buy that's ever Nike is duck gear, and I don't have a choice. But of late, I haven't really bought a lot of duck gear because they went to fucking I Want to Be Alabama jerseys, and I can't stand them. So they ever bring back the bling in their jerseys, I'll do it. Um, I was going to play out at this segment. I want to touch it. It was very, very sad. 45,000 barrels of Jim Beam got burned on July the 3rd to 4th morning. And I thought, oh my God, that's a lot of fucking Jim Beam. But when you really break it down, it's nothing. I I did a a little search on this. Each one of those warehouses they have has 45,000 barrels of bourbon in it. And I've been on the site. It doesn't look like it can hold that much, but it does. But they have 126 warehouses left. But they lost their one warehouse. And literally... They have 3.3 million barrels left. So if you're a Jim Beam drinker, which I drink Jim Beam occasionally, um, it's not going to be overpriced or out of stock. It's good to go. So I know we're long. It's been a lot of sound bites. But I want to play the ending of Trump's speech. And I didn't know where to fit it in. So we're going to fit it here. I'm not doing a music break. But on the back end of Trump's speech, we're going to go into our violent left because we have some violent left stuff to go. And then we have a new social media nugget. So this is going to be over three hours. And I apologize. But I had to play some of these sound bites, and I know they're long, but the lack of love in our country is unbelievable. And I'll talk about that on the backside. That'll be my closing thoughts about, you know, my feelings and all this hate of the country. I know I'm not talking a lot, but that's because we have a lot of sound bites to get to. So here's Trump talking about the military, and we'll go straight into violent left. After Pearl Harbor, Lieutenant Colonel James Doolittle and his Raiders flew B-25 bombers off a carrier deck in the deep Pacific in a daring feat of American resolve. And as President Roosevelt said, the Nazis built the fortress around Europe, but they forgot to put a roof on it. So we crushed them all from the air. 177 Liberator bombers flew dangerously low 
through broad daylight without fighter protection to cripple the Nazi war machine at Ploiesti. More than 300 airmen gave their lives to destroy the enemy oil refineries, and five pilots were awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor for their actions in that single raid. It was Airman Chuck Yeager who first broke the sound barrier. It was airmen like Gus Chris and Buzz Aldrin who traded their Sabre jets for rockets to the stars. And it is our incredible airmen today who wield the most powerful weapon systems on the planet Earth. For over 65 years, no enemy air force has managed to kill a single American soldier because the skies belong to the United States of America. No enemy has attacked our people without being met by a roar of thunder and the awesome might of those who bid farewell to Earth and soar into the wild blue yonder. They are the United States Air Force, representing the Air Force you will soon see beautiful, brand-new F-22 Raptors from Langley Air Force Base in Virginia. And one magnificent B-2 stealth bomber from Whiteman Air Force Base in Missouri. In October of 1775, the Continental Congress ordered the construction of two swift sailing vessels, each carrying 10 cannons and 80 men to sail eastward. Our young fleet tested their sea legs against the most powerful navy the world has ever seen. John Paul Jones, America's first great naval hero, said, I wish to have no connection with any ship that does not sail fast, for I intend to go in harm's way. He got his wish many times. 
when his ship was shot into pieces off the coast of England by a British vessel and her four dozen guns. When demanded to surrender, Jones very famously declared, I have not yet begun to fight. When our Navy begins fighting, they finish the job. The War of 1812, Captain James Lawrence fell with his brothers on the USS Chesapeake. His dying command gained immortality. Don't give up the ship. In the Battle of Mobile Bay, Admiral David Farragut lashed himself to the rigging of his flagship to see beyond the cannon smoke, crying, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. In World War II, it was aviators launched from the carrier enterprise, Hornet, Yorktown, who filled the skies of Midway and turned the tide of the Pacific War. Nobody could beat us. Nobody could come close. On D-Day, CB engineers came ashore to destroy blockades and barriers, making way for the invasion. Many lost their lives, but they took the German defenses with them and are main crushed upon the beaches like a mighty storm. From the naval demolition units of World War II arose a force that became famous in the Mekong Delta. They don't want to see our force again. The very best of the very best, the Navy SEALs. It was the SEALs who delivered vengeance on the terrorists who planned the September 11th attack on our homeland. It was the SEALs who stand ready to bring righteous retribution in mountain, jungle, desert to those who do us harm. America's sailors are not born. They are forged by the sea. Their traditions are rich with the salt and blood of three centuries. When old glory crests the waves of foreign shores, every friend and every foe knows that justice sails those waters. It sails with the United States Navy. Representing our great Navy today will be two F-18 Super Hornets from Naval Air Station Oceana in Virginia, along with two F-35 Lightnings from Naval Air Station Lemoore in California.
In November of 1775, the Continental Congress created two battalions of a new kind of warrior, one who kept and would protect our ships and sailors and be at home, both ashore and in the mast, with musket in hand. Their versatility was proven in the War of Independence when 234 Continental Marines conducted their first amphibious raid. Capturing the British supply of gunpowder and cannons at Fort Nassau, ever since Marines have fought in every American war, their legend has grown and grown and grown with each passing year. It was the Marines who won America's first overseas battle, vanquishing Barbary pirates on the shores of Tripoli. Their high, stiff collar, which shielded them from the pirate sword, earned them the immortal name Leatherneck. It was the Marines who, after two long days of battle, marched through the halls of Montezuma, it was, it was the Marines who took, took heavy casualties, casualties to, to kick, kick the Kaiser's troops out of Bella Wood in World War I, earning the title Devil Dolls. And it, it was, was the Marines who raised the flag on the black sands of Iwo Jima. From the Chosun Reservoir to Quezon, from Helmand to Baghdad, Marines have struck fear into the hearts of our enemies and put solace into the hearts of our friends. Marines always lead the way. After the 1983 Marine Barracks bombing in Beirut, which claimed the lives of 241 great U.S. servicemen, Marine Sergeant Jeffrey Nashton lay in bandages so badly wounded, barely alive. When the Commandant of the Marine Corps came to visit his hospital, Sergeant Nashton had to feel for the General's collar. He wanted to feel his four stars. He could not see and he could not speak. He signaled for pen and paper, and with shaking hand he wrote two words, Semper Fi. That motto, Semper Fidelis, always faithful, burns in the soul of every Marine a sacred promise the Corps has kept since the birth of our country. They are the elite masters of air and land and sea on battlefields all across the globe. They are the United States Marines. Representing the Marine Corps today will be a brand new VH-92, soon to serve as Marine One. Along with two V-22 Ospreys from the famed HMX-1 helicopter squadron at Quantico, the Nighthawks. <laughs>
In June of 1775, the Continental Congress created a unified army out of the revolutionary forces encamped around Boston and New York and named after the great George Washington, Commander-in-Chief. The Continental Army suffered a bitter winter of Valley Forge, found glory across the waters of the Delaware, and seized victory from Cornwallis of Yorktown. Our Army manned the air. It ran the ramparts. It took over the airports. It did everything it had to do. And at Fort McHenry, under the rocket's red glare, it had nothing but victory. And when dawn came, their star-spangled banner waved defiant. At Shiloh, Antietam, and Gettysburg, our soldiers gave the last full measure of devotion for the true unity of our nation and the freedom of all Americans. In the trenches of World War I, an Army sergeant named Alvin York faced an inferno of enemy fire and refused to retreat. He said, I won't leave, I won't stop. He shot his rifle 18 times, killing 18 of the enemy. When they fixed bayonets and charged, he killed seven more. The entire German machine gun battalion surrendered because of one man, Alvin York. A generation later, the army returned to Europe and embarked upon a great crusade with knives and rifles in hand. The Rangers scaled the cliffs of Normandy. The 101st Airborne leapt into the danger from above. Illuminated only by enemy flares, explosions, and burning aircraft, they threw back the Nazi empire with lightning of their own from the turrets of Sherman tanks and the barrels of the M1 rifle. In the darkness of the Battle of the Bulge, with Nazis on every side, one soldier is reported to have said, they've got us surrounded again, the poor bastards. Outnumbered American warriors fought through the bunkers of Pork Chop Hill and held the line of civilization in Korea. In the elephant grass of Vietnam, the 1st Cavalry made it stand amid a forest consumed in flame with enemies at every single turn. The Army brought America's righteous fury down to Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan and cleared the bloodthirsty killers from their caves. They liberated Fallujah and Mosul and helped deliberate and obliterate the ISIS caliphate just recently in Syria, 100% gone. Through centuries, our soldiers have always pointed toward home, proclaiming this we'll defend. They live by the creed of Douglas MacArthur in war. There is no substitute for victory. They are the greatest soldiers on earth.
250 years ago, a volunteer army of farmers and shopkeepers, blacksmiths, merchants, and militiamen risk life and limb to secure American liberty and self-government. This evening, we have witnessed the noble might of the warriors who continue that legacy. They guard our birthright with vigilance and fierce devotion to the flag and to our great country. Now we must go forward as a nation with that same unity of purpose. As long as we stay true to our cause, as long as we remember our great history, as long as we never, ever stop fighting for a better future, then there will be nothing that America can not do. be the people who defeated a tyrant, crossed the continent, harnessed science, took to the skies, and soared into the heavens. Because we will never forget that we are Americans, and the future belongs to us. The future belongs to the brave, the strong, the proud, and the free. We are one people chasing one dream and one magnificent destiny. We all share the same heroes, the same home, the same heart, and we are all made by the same almighty God. From the banks, of the Chesapeake to the cliffs of California, from the humming shores of the Great Lakes to the sand dunes of the Carolinas, from the fields of the heartland to the Everglades of Florida, the spirit of American independence will never fade, never fail, but will reign forever and ever and ever. So once more, to every citizen throughout our land, have a glorious Independence Day, have a great 4th of July. I want to thank the Army Band, the National Park Service, the Interior Department, the incredible pilots overhead, and those who are making possible the amazing fireworks display later this evening. Now, as the band plays the Battle Hymn of the Republic, I invite the First Lady, Vice President and Mrs. Pence, the service secretaries and military leaders to join me on stage for one more salute to America by the famous, incredible, talented Blue Angels. God bless you, God bless the military, and God bless America. Happy Fourth of July. Police don't win. And I said, baby, they don't. <laughs>
The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. All punches are not equal morally. Morning. This morning, there are serious questions about security in Portland after a journalist was attacked there while documenting violent protests between anti-fascist protesters and members of several far-right groups. Joining me now is Andy No. You saw him there in the video. He suffered serious injuries at the hands of some Antifa protesters. Andy, just tell me what happened. I, as a journalist, was covering a protest organized by Antifa activists, and the event was billed as resisting fascist violence, but as a journalist of color and a gay man, I ended up in the hospital covering that event with a brain hemorrhage. A brain hemorrhage. How are you doing this morning? What are your injuries? I, I'm glad to be out of the hospital. Uh, I'm surprised that various times um, I'm having these cognitive hiccups that weren't really apparent to me um, from just laying in bed in a hospital, but now that I'm trying to return to more normal activities. Um, they're becoming uh, more apparent. Um, you were out there covering this. Again, it was, there was some kind of Proud Boys and they're sort of white nationalists. And there was the Antifa counter-protesting out them. It was the Antifa protesters whom you've had issues with before. They're the ones who came after you, you say? Yes, they're the ones who came after me. I think this country rightfully, is very attuned to knowing and sensing when the right goes too far. It was only just days ago that James Fields was sentenced mm. for his murder of Heather Heyer. I wonder if the rest, if this country, though, is also attuned to when the left can go too far. In, in the city of Portland, it's become a hotbed for far left militancy and it's always been my goal to just go in and to document these protests in a professional manner and for that I was deemed to be a provocateur and deserving of the mob beating. Let me read you actually something that Professor Brian Levin said. I read this in the paper today and he knows of you and he's been covering Antifa for some time. He says of you, he, Andy No, is a political pundit who certainly makes the most out of his conflicts, which sometimes turn violent on him. But, to his credit, I've never seen him be the physical aggressor in the posts that he's made generally. Do you think that's an accurate description from the professor of what you do and how you cover Antifa? When I cover Antifa, I'm just showing what happens. And I appreciate that Professor Levin is honest in pointing out that I am never the one to be aggressive and to promote physical confrontation. There's disinformation campaign going on by Antifa and their allies that I came there to provoke a response.
if anybody has evidence that I acted unprofessionally, I ask that you make that public for the record. Who do you blame? Obviously the people who attacked you, uh, those demonstrators we saw hitting you and in some cases spraying things on you. I know there were milkshakes being thrown. They're to blame, but who else do you blame for this? What was surreal as I was getting beat is that I could actually still see the Monoma County Justice Center and that houses some of the most important institutions of law in Portland. It has the Sheriff's Office, it has the Central Police Precinct, has courthouses. And at, I just kept thinking at any moment after the first punch to the back of my head that police were going to swoop in and save me, mm -hmm. but it never happened. The punches kept coming and as I stumbled away on my own, in bloodied, I thought at any point the police would come to me mm -hmm. then and that didn't happen either. Let me just uh, read you uh, uh, one of the tweets from the Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler. We stand against all forms of violence regardless of someone's political leanings. Portland police officers have had the unenviable task of keeping the peace. It's a difficult job and hard decisions are made in real time. While we continue to learn more about what transpired over the weekend, we will keep you informed. We'll do everything we can to make sure that those who have committed violence are held accountable. Your reaction to the mayor? How many more people have to be beaten and attacked in the city of Portland before things change? I am by far not the first one. These, there's been many other incidents that have happened since 2016 and the policing has remained the same, which is a policy of not engaging with militant protesters. Violence against journalists uh, of any kind is something we all need to fight against. Andy, no, thank you for being with us this morning. I appreciate it. That was CNN discrediting Andy Angio. And understand, it's a whole media thing. I mean, new rules on Facebook? Ah, fuck that. There's 119 Antifa sites on Facebook. They're fine. I mean, I have a soundbite here. Chicago Antifa setting up a terror training camp calling itself... You gotta hear this. Defense gym. This is, this is real. Haymaker is an autonomous gym that's starting up now in Chicago. The aim is to establish more networks of uh, self-defense. We're trying to develop self-defense skills in a uh, political climate that's increasingly violent, especially towards marginalized peoples, people who are not in power, the poor, the oppressed. We're invested in building material force of resistance against the rising nature of fascism in this country and obviously the longer history of white supremacy. And so we're really invested in cultivating uh, the capacities for our bodies to uh, just be stronger because at the end of the day it's uh, stronger people are harder to kill. A lot of people think like when you learn how to fight it's all about being aggressive and like learning how to like you know go start fights with people that's not what we're about at all. We're here to develop the, the bodily instincts to be able to react in a situation where we might be put in danger. We believe that we need to start developing these skills especially as the violence against us the violence against marginalized peoples is only escalating under Trump, right? We want this to be an open-facing project. Everybody's welcome except police and people that are affiliated with uh, strong right-wing groups. We're trying to build a space where people who may not be accepted into the kind of heteronormative, masculine, macho gym culture and have a space for everyone to be able to learn self-defense skills. It's going to be free, donation-based. A lot of anti-fascist groups in the U.S. Uh, tend to kind of stay underground, and so we want to make uh, this kind of politics of anti-racism and anti-fascism much more public and much more accessible to the mainstream. And so, yeah, we, we're a broad, open, public-facing 
popular self-defense project. So it's uh, Haymaker Chai at riseup.net. We also have a Twitter, which is also Haymaker Chai. A number of different folks have already emailed us and they're interested in starting uh, similar projects in other cities. So we're like really invested in beyond the kind of local context of Chicago. We think that uh, starting a network of self-defense gyms all over uh, the U.S. Is, is would be really dope. Because like within our organizing collective, we don't necessarily have, like, we can't speak to all of the different problems, I guess, and issues that people face in the city. So we're trying to uh, use Haymaker as a space to organize with other groups in order to advance the broader cause, I guess, of uh, self-defense. Everybody's in on this. It's all good. It's all good. But CNN, they ran freaking uh, Chirons that said Andy Ngo said he was attacked. People paired him up with... Jesse Smollett was attacked by racists. That's that's the you know I always talk about the 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 subtle biases when a Republican fucks up the R is near their name when a Democrat fucks up Mr. Chocolate City down in New Orleans you never heard Democrat you never hear that when somebody leaves the Republican Party you hear it. There's a guy right now that we'll cover on the next podcast because this is such a long podcast. Uh, he left. It's all Republican. It's all over Twitter. It's everywhere. When a Democrat changes, no, he's a fucking piece of shit. He was always a Republican. Da, 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 da. That's how they are. But we have more proof of who did this stuff to Andy NGO. Randy Baker. Uh, never heard of him, but here you are. Wish there was room on Twitter bio for, to put yelled fucking own bitch at Mr. Andy NGO on video. In there, there's probably a couple million people who heard it by now. Randy something Baker, it's a woman. It's probably a close second to my appearance on Portlandia in terms of sheer volume of people who saw it with no idea. Chad Felix Green, you participated in a brutal public beating of a gay minority journalist and you're boasting about it? She comes back with, oh no, not the FBI. Uh, Ian Michael Chan, this is one of the people who participating in the Andy NGO assault jeering from the sidelines. And, you know, Nathan Bernard did it with a, and was suffered severe acid burns from Antifoc, cement milkshake. These burns actually take around a week to heal. There'll be no traces of any burns on Andy during this many cable news. This is a big thing. It's all faking it. Most people take months, if not years, recover from heavy brain bleeding. He's on all these TV channels. He faked it. AG conservative, bad enough to be one of the people excusing a brutal assault by a violent mob. But imagine being so depraved as to brag about being caught on video cheering and then spending time discrediting somebody who was beaten on video and we saw it. This ranny something. Got any proof I participated? My voice is on the video, but I'm 10 feet away. Never touched him. Prove I participated. Mocking someone covered in silly string and coconut milk isn't a crime. Chad Velix Green. We have video and medical records now to validate what the mob did to him that you cheered on. With Witnesses have already given more information about what happened. Bragging about your own participation helps us immensely in our efforts to stop this ongoing terrorism. Thank you. But they were all in. Thanks to CNN. He says it happened because it happened. You saw it happen, Shrug Emoji says. Jesse Smollett was attacked. NGO was claimed he was attacked. And NGO was Jesse Smollett, but honest. Nailed it. It's only CNN is some sort of media analyst who could investigate this glaring bias. Hey, Brian Seltzer. New Day tweets. Conservative journalist Salt Ted says Antifa behind it. Jesse Smollett was attacked in Chicago. Impossible hate crime. That's the Chiron. 
another conspiracy that came out. Andy NGO hires Proud Boys to pose as Antifa and attack him. A journalist, a lefty, trolls have been tweeting this doctored fake screenshot of an article I supposedly wrote. My actual article made no such claims and include vastly different headline. If this is the involved form of fake news, it's mildly terrifying. I have asked Twitter to take action. They did nothing. Yeah. Pope of Chili Town tweeted, Nope, the Proud Boys he hired to pose as Antifa beat him up. That's, that's how they did it. But we got to remember in our podcast why they did him. Uh, did him like they did. Because here's all the stories. But now you know, blah, 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 blah. Here's some of the stories he did. How many times does Antifa have to show its brutality before people believe it? Last summer in Portland, a leftist bro- brought a flag to protest against the right. Antifa attacked him. We covered it. He was called a fascist. He was beaten and laid in a pool of blood. The network of pro-Antifa journalists has sanitized and whitewashed extreme group to some success. Come to Portland to witness for yourself the discriminated the indiscriminate brutality of street movement. Even the local media can't ignore their extremism. Uh, from an article on Twitter, asked the public to identify this white man. They published photos of him as license plate with the message, Make Racist Afraid Again. Mrs. How- Mr. Hauser has since received threatening phone calls identifying his wife by name. I've lived here my whole life, but I don't want to go downtown anymore. When the streets are com- commandeered by a sponsored group of angry, agitated ingrates and criminals, we have no city. The mob later occupied a busy intersection when a middle-aged man driving a car with a blah, 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 and it goes on to the next one. Who could forget when Anafon local BLM group physically attacked the elderly man in downtown Portland? That was the story. I still find this footage from October 2018 shocking. We covered it. Antifon cover where furious Portland police shot Patrick Kimmons in downtown. Kimmons had just shot and injured two people when police responded. Protesters took anger out on this elderly man and doxed him as well. You white little fucker. After attacking the elderly man, Antifon BLM stopped traffic at the busy intersection. Those who didn't listen to them were cursed at, threatened even had the cars hit. Portland police did nothing. The mayor praised them for that. First time I encountered Antifa face-to-face was after 2016 election. The protest against election result organized by Gregory McClellan turned into a riot. Antifa ravaged part of the city with bats and fires. It goes on and on, and we covered it all. But the media loves this. They made them. Our This is America's another proof of CNN interviewing and praising Antifa on one of their shows. New York Times. The assault of conservative journalist Andy Ngo over the weekend renewed attention to anti-fascist protesters whom he blamed for the attack. Here's the Antifa movement explained. This is how the press is on a, on a fucking terrorist organization. Clash between conservative marchers and black-clad protesters in Portland this weekend, which left a conservative journalist roughed up and bloodied, has renewed attention in a movement dedicated to confronting white supremacists, right-wing extremists, and in some cases, ordinary supporters of President Trump. Known as Antifa, a contradiction of the word anti-fascist, the loot, a contraction, excuse me, of the word anti-fascist, the loose affiliation of radical activists has surfaced in recent years at an event around the country, including an opposition to the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. Supporters of the leaderless ideology generally seek to stop what they see as fascist, racist, and far-right groups from having a platform to promote their views, arguing the public demonstration of those ideas lead to the targeting of a minority group. Antifa targeted a minority person when they targeted Andy and Joe, but whatever. 
Many Antifa organizers also participate in more peaceful forms of community organizing, but they believe that using violence is justified because of their view that if racist or fascist groups are allowed to organize freely, it will inevitably result in violence against marginalized communities, said Antifa, the anti-fascist handbook author Mark Bray, who was on Cuomo and Chuck Todd, he's a good guy, whose support for the anti-fascist movement has incited controversy at Dartmouth. Neon Taser, you need to actively work hard to phrase things this poorly, so chalk it up as bad skills would be kindless. That's the New York Times, justifying. Do you have justification for any other beating? All sorts of fucking shit with he's faking it. Here's just one of them. His recovery from a tomahawk missile strike to the head is truly miraculous. They think it's funny. But what's Portland police going to do about it? Portland police chief, after Antifa attacks, we need anti-mass laws. Then that's going to fix it. (laughs) That's going to take care of it. These people are violent And we're just going to make them take their mask off. That's going to stop the violence. No. Because of this group, Charlottesville is scrapping Jefferson's birthday. And they're going to celebrate slave, uh, what was it, uh, Emancipation Day. Yeah. That's what they're going to do. Mini AOC, we played her on the show. Death threats from people like this. The parents pulled it. Cameron Gray, if a parody of a politician causes you to track down and send death threats to a child, you should reevaluate your life and figure out where it went so wrong for you. But that's the left. That's who they are. In the backdrop of all the America sucks, 4th of July dogging, Betsy Ross flags racist, national anthems racist, fucking America the Beautiful's racist, everything's racist. I mean, that one story that I just read a part of, they went down the list of all those songs. Warning from Washington Post, liberals find Alabama embarrassing. Capital Books, reminder, this is a bookstore. The best way to avoid mega tourists in D.C. this holiday weekend is to enter a bookstore. This is like the 497th Trump joke we've told on this platform, so don't act all surprised and outraged. You delicate flowers. The entire world said, I'm not shopping there again. They don't care. Amazon removes controversial books by Father of Conversion Therapy. A parent's guide to preventing homosexuality? They won't sell it anymore. Concerted effort. This counterculture, socialist, no rules, no borders, beat up people that we don't agree with. It's everywhere. And then the media wonders. U.S. media sector braced for brutal year of jobs. The consultancy Challenger Gray and Christmas reported this week that media companies, which include movies, television, publishing, music, and broadcast, and print news, announced plans to cut 15,474 jobs so far this year, of which 11,878 of which were from news organization. That is nearly three times more than the 4,062 cuts announced the media sector in 2017. 
CNN death spiral continues with double-digit Q2 ratings collapse. The far-left fake news outlet CNN came in 15th place in primetime during this previous quarter and lost nearly 20% of its already pathetic viewership. Let's go straight to the numbers. Primetime, Fox, 2.4. MSDNC, 1.6. CNN, 761,000. Total day, Fox, 1.32 million. MSDNC, 800,000. CNN, 500. Drops in comparison. Fox lost 2. MSDNC lost 8. CNN lost 18. Total day, Fox lost 6. MSDNC only lost 4 because nobody's watching already. And CNN has lost 18%. Because they just keep going left. And there's not enough left people. There's not enough of Americans that are in this crazy fringe. Except for Miley Cyrus. Nice segue, huh? Releases disgusting BDSM-themed pro-abortion music video. I'm not playing it. I was going to. But then during a performance at Tinderbox Music Festival, an angry and uncouth Miley Cyrus... Cyrus, excuse me, so your usual behavior, that's saying a lot, took time to break the crowd with an F-word-laden appeal for the planet. All you know how important it is to be involved in politics, she began for screaming. The youth, this generation, we are the last fucking hope on this dying fucking planet. I don't like that there's been more fucking trash in the water than living fucking animals that deserve to be there that have nowhere else to go. Echoing AOC... Level of hysteria, she claimed, with a fucking way, we don't have anywhere to fucking go either. There's no planet B, there's no planet B, so don't fuck it up. We only have 12 years. Which goes into our border section. It was going to play Frederica Whitfield, Anderson Cooper, and Rashida Tlaib. We're just going to play the Rashida Tlaib portion. Because it's her turn to disgrace the 51% of Border Patrol that are Latina. I I know you got to run, but did you ever feel physically threatened? I don't, I didn't feel physically threatened. Uh, uh, I felt very much uh, tension. Um, I felt at at, at one moment uh, a tremendous amount of anger with the stares. Uh, Some of those. Men and women uh, were not very happy that we were there. I mean, these are agents uh, that uh, I think are under a, a lot of stress, but no excuse for their uh, immoral and inhumane um, and just a, a, their character and um, uh, how they proceeded to to laugh and jokingly uh, think that this was also very funny, and it's it wasn't. Uh, this was horrifying to be able to see something like this and you know sometimes Wolf, I, I, I one moment I looked and there was a gentleman there he was only there for one week an agent and I said you just got here he said yep just came back uh, came from New York was pulled in and you can see uh, he he was he was in a situation he didn't want to be in and I thought to myself maybe the others just became more numb to it maybe the others had to justify being part of something so um, so ugly and so uh, hard to be part of in, in separating families like that. I mean, to have a little four-year-old come to you at the glass door, I mean, he's such a beautiful child. 
you know, I'm just trying to play with him, trying to connect with him. They wouldn't let us speak to the children directly. Uh, and you can see as he slid uh, a little board to me underneath, wanting me to write something, and he kept asking me where his papa was. Uh, I don't know how uh, these agents take it every single day, and I'm wondering if they've become numb to it, but I also know deep within there is a culture of racism. There's a culture of anti-immigrant hate rhetoric that has been allowed to fester from within, and it was very evident woof with their stares that, I, oh, that's the one, that's, that's that uh, member of Congress of Muslim faith, uh, the one who's you know, been calling out the president for many of his impeachable offenses. Uh, but you felt that kind of tension and that kind of anger towards you as you walk through the halls of the detention centers. But, but I just want to be precise, Congresswoman. Some of these agents were actually laughing at you and your colleagues in this congressional delegation? They were laughing through the window at us after we were very upset that some of them were taking photos. You would think they would be showing uh, some uh, significant uh, respect for members of Congress who come uh, to the scene to try to find out what's going on. Uh, it's an awful situation. I think everyone uh, agrees. Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for what you're doing. Thank you. We'll have more breaking news coming up on a sudden shift. These fucking people, man, they're so full of shit. Rashida Tlaib on private Facebook groups, CBP agents are so blatantly racist, expose a culture trying to dehumanize the whole world. This is how we fight back. Close the camps. The southern border were deeply alarmed. They learned that Wayfair, a company led by an Indian American CEO, is selling beds to contractors. They operate facilities for migrant children separated from the parents. We support the employees at Wayfair who are participating in the Wayfair walkout on June 26. We urge you, Mr. Shaw, to stop profiting off inhumane policy. AG, conservative. Glad you all are fighting very hard against migrant children having beds. I mean, they won't fund it. They won't let it get more beds. They try to stop the beds, but they keep saying they're not open border. And then you get, once again, 51% of border agents are Latina. They're not white guys. Here's Omar. We have rogue agencies that have uh, no accountability, no transparency in how they conduct their business. Um, we know that they have um, sp- spoken in the most vile ways about immigrants. Um, we know that they uh, have certain views about, you know, what brown and black people deserve. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so we should be having a conversation about eliminating their existence, mm. reforming um, you know, this, this, the, the agencies that deal with the, our most vulnerable, which right. are children and women. Um, and, and we are continuing to allow for them to, to, to terrorize uh, people who are running away from the you know, most horrific um, circumstances. And that's one inhumane. Um, yes. and, and that can't sit well with the American values that we have that sort of really clearly cares about dignity and humanity. Right. And- How are they rogue agencies when they're enforcing the laws? They're going so far left that we reported the DHS chief last podcast and the podcast before. Now he came right out. 
Democrat immigration plans tantamount to declaring publicly that we have open borders. And multiple articles of him coming in and saying, hey, yo, this is dangerous. This is why people are coming to the border. This is why it's out of control and dangerous for people because you want open borders. Ariel Davidson, many of the elements of the 2020 Dem immigration platform are actually impossible to put into practice without sending the country into a borderless chaos. For example, eliminating detention centers. So what happens next? Illegal immigrants simply released into the general population? We can all imagine what this might do to immigration flow. There is no plan, and that should scare you. Then the Hill, two more times this week, showing pictures of detention But, oh, by the way, yeah, they're from 2015. It's Obama. They're still doing it. Because the media is part of it. They want to help them. They want open borders. Then we got AOC from last podcast. Hispanic pastors to her border facility lambasted by AOC and say they are shocked by misinformation. Reverend Samuel Rodriguez, no white supremacist as he, was full of indignation when he saw the report and heard from politicians about the deplorable, inhumane conditions for illegal immigrants at El Paso, Texas, Migrant Detention Center. But when he saw it, the same facility turned by AOC with a group of pastors was drastically different. The president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference, the world's largest Hispanic Christian organization and senior pastor of New Season Christian Worship Center in Sacramento, shared his first-hand experience touring a migrant detention center during a press briefing. I read that reports saw the news clips. I just wanted to see what was actually happening in order to better enable our efforts to find a fair and just solution to our broken immigration system, Rodriguez, who was advi- who has advised Trump, Obama, and Bush on immigration reform. To my surprise, I saw something drastically different from the stories I've been hearing in our nation's discourse. Even as a veteran of immigration advocacy in the U.S., I was shocked at the disinformation of the crisis at the border. Cleve Edge asked the question we all ask. Why is this not getting more press? It's clear that AOC is using this crisis as some kind of photo op political game. Just when you thought we had a real world person in Congress, she turns out to be just another lying piece of shit. She attacks so much, border officials respond to AOC detention facility Twitter rampage. And here is a guy from Tucson taking people on a tour of the supply room. Good afternoon. My name is Roy Villarreal. I am the Chief Patrol Agent for the Tucson Border Patrol Sector. Today is July 3rd. My goal today is to dispel some of the misinformation that's out there in regards to our detention facilities. So come with me. This is a supply room that is typical in every one of the stations in Tucson sector. What we have supplies of are diapers, baby wipes, clothing for children marked by gender, age, clothing for men and women. We've got supplies. These are feminine hygiene products that are readily available for any of the detainees. Now come with me as we go into one of our detention cells. Okay. 
picture in front of me is a supply card that is available to families and, and unaccompanied children. What it includes baby formula, crackers, raisins, tuna fish, mylar blankets. Uh, here's one of the other aspects. There's a lot of misinformation that we're not allowing people to brush their teeth. This is a toothbrush that is preloaded with toothpaste and it's provided to everyone and readily available should they want more than one. Now let's look at the biggest misinformation for a second. Coming to the cell phone. Aliens are not forced to drink out of the toilet. Aliens have options. There's fresh water that's provided on a regular basis in a water cooler. There's also water that is provided in this one. This is a combination of toilet and sink, and the sink provides fresh water. The wall is marked as Alba which is audible water. There's nothing wrong with this water. We're not forcing aliens to drink out of the toilet. Ladies and gentlemen, as the men and women of the United States Border Patrol continue to safeguard our nation, I hope you have a wonderful month of July. Thank you. It is unconscionable the damage the media is doing by allowing these lies to continue. The, everything they put out to support the Democratic Party, their, their personal worldview is so fucking dangerous. We talk all the time about things conservatives say that makes people go and shoot people, and we blame conservatives like freaking Sarah Palin for putting a bullseye on a district and then somebody gets shot by a kook. This stuff is dangerous. They're outright lying, doing photo ops, making everything political, and in the bottom line, regardless of what you want to say as a progressive, a Democrat, no it's not, what about Obama, nothing has been on this level of we're just not going to support anything because we want the president to fail. It is ten times worse than Mitch McConnell saying, my job is to make sure he doesn't get reelected. That's politics. This is, fuck America, we will let it burn to the ground until we get a Democratic president. It is out of control. Quick music break, going to go into news and social media nuggets. And for the music, Raylan Givens. I'm watching Justified again, because I fucking love that show. And this is him talking about drawing a gun. He pulled first, I shot him. Take one more step, I'll shoot you. That's all I'm going to say. Marshal, I want to tell you something important. 
Use it or throw it away. Jesus Christ! Now. Oh, son of a... Billy, the next one is for you. Put the gun down. What's the plan? For me to shoot you in the leg, Bo wants to take your life. <laughs> then what happens? Where is he? Drop your guns, fellas. Let's go see. One down. Where's your friend? Is she dead? Yeah, I think so. But I need her. Alive. And if I don't comply... So you want me to recommend you for a promotion? Yeah. You're always looking for guys like me. You mean guys that have shot people? Exactly. Yeah. Well, you got that covered. Shooting for a minute, let me get a word in. I need you to shut off the car. Nice car. Stop it! Stop! You're dead, girl. Cover. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. It's why they call me Bad Company. And I can Bad Company till the day I die. Till the day I die. Trying to get crazy with this, see?
Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. Military coroner, body of Army sergeant who died in Afghanistan, returns to the U.S. The body of Army sergeant from Utah died in Afghanistan has arrived back. Sergeant First Class Elliot J. Robbins arrived Tuesday at Dover to full military honors. Honors, excuse me. Nineteen-year-old soldier, soldier who fell in Korea, laid to rest sixty-eight years later. Nineteen-year-old soldier from Wyoming who was declared missing in action 68 years ago in Korea, was finally laid to rest June 29th. The long-awaited burial came as President Donald Trump paid historic visit to North Korea. In Casey, Wyoming, population 263 in the 2010 census, the white hearse carrying the remains of Army Corporal DeMart M. Kirtley, known as Martson, to his sheep-ranching family and friends, proceeded slowly Saturday past a small flag-waving crowd to a cemetery on the outskirts. Zena Husband, husband Curtis, Curtley's niece, told Wyoming KT Radio that her uncle loved Wyoming and made the ultimate sacrifice for his country. It made me think, who's the best and who's the worst of the states? And I found an article. These states have the highest and lowest enlistment rates in the Army, or in America, excuse me. So which state boasts the highest concentration? Georgia followed by South Carolina, Idaho, Alaska, and Texas. The report tracked the average number of military enlistees, not officers, per 100, or excuse me, 1,000 citizens. Between 2010 and 2015, Georgia had a .92 enlistee per 100. Uh, remaining top five became between .85 and .82. So when you break it down, uh, let me get the picture better because it's too small. I can read it now. Georgia's number one, South Carolina, Idaho, Alaska, Texas. The worst, Vermont, New Jersey, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and North Dakota. The four of those, because of politics, North Dakota because of population. Most veterans per capita, Alaska, Montana, Virginia, Maine, and Oklahoma. Alaska, of course, because per capita there's not a lot of people up there. Fewest, Illinois, Massachusetts, California, New Jersey, New York. That is all Democrats. Most Peace Corps Montana, Vermont, Washington, Alaska, Minnesota, worst, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Arkansas, Alabama, Mississippi, because they all joined the military. Highest percentage of adults who visit, who voted in 2016, Maine, Wisconsin, Colorado, New Hampshire, Minnesota, lowest, Texas, New Mexico, Tennessee, West Virginia, and Hawaii. That was kind of sad to read. I didn't think Tennessee would be that bad. Highest volunteer rate, Utah, South Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Nebraska. Lowest, Louisiana, Nevada, New York, Mississippi, and Florida. And once again, I thought being the volunteer state would be a little better, but we weren't. Sentence for posing with dead Iraqi war casualty went to an Article 15, but he was found not guilty on that seal case. That's fantastic. Top Army official test out futuristic smart combat glasses. The U.S. Army new boss recently got a chance to shoot house training with the latest Microsoft-based smart soldier glasses. 
Ryan McCarthy, who is now serving as Acting Secretary of the Army, and incoming Army Chief of Staff James McConnell, traveled to Fort Pickett, Virginia, earlier this spring to try out early prototypes of the Integrated Visual Augmentation System. Oh, thanks, baby. The Army awarded $480 million contract to Microsoft in November to develop IVAS. Sorry, the wife brought me in a smoothie, and the dogs are assholes, so that's what you heard. Um... These are pretty cool, so eh, more to follow. Recruits can get up to 40K bonus for going infantry as Army looks to grow. The Army increased the bonus for new recruits of who select infantry or individual fire crew member, 11B or 11C military occupation specialty, occupational specialties, or MOS, from a max of 15000 to 40000 depending on the length of initial contract. Command Public Affairs Director Kelly Bland said in an email, The Army is about 3,300 training seats to fill for their 11 XOMOS series by September 30th, the end of the fiscal year. The $40,000 bonus is available for recruits joining for six-year enlistments. The three-year enlistment will get you about twenty k, four-year, twenty-five, five, thirty k. I joked to the wife, too bad I couldn't re-up. <laughs> but I'm broke, Dick, so I can't. <laughs> Which takes us to college crazy, and I couldn't do a 4th of July podcast without playing college kids saying America sucks. I'm Kevin Phillips with Campus Reform. Today we're in Washington, D.C., talking to college students about whether or not they're proud to be an American. With the 4th of July tomorrow, a new poll shows that fewer people than ever say they think we're the greatest country in the world. What do these students think? Let's find out. Are you proud to be an American this year? Nah, not at all. Do you find yourself proud to be an American this year? No. There are so many issues right now that I just, like, can't say yes that I'm proud to be an American, but that's not to say that I'm not fortunate. I've been prouder, I think, in the past. Like, I think we do, as a country, have a lot to be proud of, but... At the moment, there are a lot more things we have to be ashamed of. I don't know how to say it. Like, I'm not not proud, but I don't like what we're experiencing now. Are you proud to be an American this year? Nah, it, not as proud as I've been in the past, but I feel lucky. Or what would you say are the reasons that you're feeling that way? Definitely our current president, because he just... Uh, I'm not proud of him. I can't be proud of a country that, like, elected... Trump. I mean, I think it's awful if someone says they aren't proud to be an American regardless of who's in our office. Um, So, of course, I'm more proud than honestly ever. I think one of the most patriotic things a person can do is realize that there's a lot of problems in the country, be willing to help solve those problems and uh, still love their country at the end of the day. Do you think we're the greatest country in the world? I don't. I don't think we're the greatest country in the world. No. No. Do you think America is the greatest country in the world? Uh, no. <laughs> it's not the, the greatest country in the world. What would you say is? Um, well, that's kind of a difficult question because I don't feel like I can make an informed decision. But if I had to say, I would probably say Sweden. Canada's doing, doing it kind of well now. So <laughs> <laughs> I think Canada's gonna, is a front runner for greatest country. Um, Sweden, Norway, some of the more developed countries that have better health care. I would say Nordic states, yeah. Iceland, people seem pretty happy there. What is? Um, I don't know, but it's a country with a lot less, um, a lot less violence, a lot less distribution of guns, a better 
more stable government with, um, you know, less of a wage gap. Times have really changed in this country, so it's not... In what way? Like, just even with, like, you know, the American dream, it's like, you know, I, I learned that it was like, you know, to have the freedom to do and say most of the things that you want without too many repercussions. But now, like, with, like, especially for people of color, like, you know, the police brutality and all stuff like that that's really going on now, it's just not what it's been perceived to be. So it's, it's a very frustrating topic. Like, what are we that the greatest in? Like, Personal freedom. Are we, though? Mm-hmm. Maybe personal freedom for you. <laughs> In what way do you not feel free? Um, I think as, like, a young woman and a queer person, it's, like, everything is around me. It's, like, like okay, like, if I were to be living in Alabama, I wouldn't be free. I think we have, uh, you know country rife with opportunity, uh, a country rife with abilities to, you know, become successful. Um, I don't know, in, in light of what's going on around the world, it's pretty damn good to be an American. I think it's the best country in the world. That's just me. It's not easy to make that stretch. They're, set up, they're, they're preached to you all day that America sucks. Most of the country's racist pieces of shit. Of course they fucking hate country. Unions clinch $15 minimum wage at Washington University. And tuitions went up 15%. So, there you go. Professor calls for public shaming of U.S. Border Patrol so they will quit their jobs. A human rights professor called for the public shaming of U.S. Border Agents for committing a mass atrocity against detained illegal immigrants. Kate Crozen Furman, if you got a hyphen name, you're a douchebag. Professor of Human Rights at University College London wrote in New York Times op-ed, of course the New York Times printed it, that the public should shame individual U.S. Border Patrol agents to pressure them to quit their jobs. The identities of the individual customs and border protection agents were physically separating children from their families and staffing the detention center are not undiscoverable. Immigration lawyers have agents' names, journalists reporting at the border have names, photos, and even videos. These agents' actions should be publicized, particularly in their home communities. The knowledge, for instance, that when you go to church on Sunday, your entire congregation will have to see you on TV ripping a child out of her father's arms is a serious social cost to bear. The desire to avoid this kind of social shame may be enough to persuade some agents to quit and may hinder the recruitment of replacements. Professor argued that Border Patrol agents are likely to commit what she termed atrocities, not out of ideological commitment, but mere desire for a paycheck. She suggests that these officers have a lack of personal investment, much more susceptible to pressure than national leaders. Professor likened her plan to World War II in Denmark, where social pressures were churches helped the country disobey Nazis. Boom! We got Nazis in the article. We're good to go. It's been happening since Obama. Where were you, professor? South Dakota lawmakers put diversity officers on blast. Taxpayers were not approved. In a letter to the South Dakota Board of Regents dated June 12th and obtained by campus reform, seven members of the South Dakota House and Senate describe how campus diversity offices often have very pointed political agendas. While beneficial programs from Native American students and students of other diverse cultures should be preserved, the built-up of diversity offices which are used to promote social justice causes associated with the political left such as safe zone training, biannual drag shows, and social justice training, to name just a few, should be dismantled, the letter stated. 
According to the letter, diversity offices at South Dakota public universities are budgeted at $5.9 million. Republican State Representative Sue Peterson, who sponsored a campus intellectual diversity bill in 2018 and pushed state schools to adopt policies on the matter, said that the officers are not making too much of a difference, according to Argus Leader. Whatever they're spending on the diversity offices, it isn't making a very good impact. It is our belief that the taxpayers of South Dakota would not approve this type of activity being funded with tax dollars. And isn't that the truth? I gotta blow my nose. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Allergies are killing me this morning. Yeah. This is happening in every public school. Well, I mean, let's just be honest. We're sending money for them to do that. We send money to go to Planned Parenthood. So, I mean, let's be honest. All we hear is how Republicans are gerrymandering, spending money on defense that actually defends us, we spend money on abortions. That's why I don't buy Girl Scout cookies. Money goes to Planned Parenthood. I'm not buying Girl Scout cookies. I told a mother that about two months ago and I forgot to put it in the show. She lost her fucking mind on me, but I'm like, nope. You're not not buying your cookies. I used to love your cookies, but no, 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 no. She didn't even go to the university, yet the school investigated her sexual assault claims. A judge just ruled in the accused favor. Boom! What do I say? One per podcast. It's always there. This is at UVA. Ohio school removes Ten Commandment plaque displayed for almost 100 years after atheist group objects. Because they just found it. That wasn't in there, but it's pretty sure. CBN notes that the complaint for the Freedom From Religious Foundation was triggered by a disgruntled parent of a child at Weltley Middle School in New Philadelphia. FFRF's April 12th letter stated that the plaque was a flagrant violation of the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment, the district's promotion of Judeo-Christian Bible and religion over non-religion, impermissibly turns any non-Christian or non-believing student into an outsider. School children already feel significant pressure to conform to their peers. They must not be subjected to similar pressure from their school, especially on religious questions. As the Times reporter noted, new Philadelphia school superintendent David Brand issued a statement explaining why the district complied with the demand for the plaque removal and argued that the district simply could not afford to challenge this group. They put them out of business. Now FFRF seeks to make them pay for the million dollars they spent to remove a fucking plaque that's been there for a hundred years. The left really has a problem with inanimate objects. Tanks, statues, Netflix, Netflix, God, I can't read this morning, I'm sorry, it's really early, pulls 66 episodes of Chelsea Handler, Shoved it away. This article pretty much sums it up. I think they're trying to hide the shit, the crazy shit she did. Because when do they take anything down? Tosh is up there, or not Tosh, but um, the guy from um, Community. This shit stays all the time. He hasn't had a show forever. Mother of 11-year-old drag kid blasts convicted pedophile for sexualizing her child scolds conservative media. Desmond is hot and feels sexy performing. This is his mother. I gotta read this one. In an Instagram post published last week, Wendy Napoli's the worst mother on the fucking planet, the mother of 11-year-old Desmond Napoli's, a so-called drag kid known as Desmond is Amazing, blasted a convicted pedophile blogger for sexualizing her son, calling his statements highly inappropriate. 
Napoli also took a shot at conservative media for allegedly suggesting she is purposely attracting pedophiles. This is extremely disturbing. Convicted pedophile Tom O'Carroll has written a blog post stating that Desmond is hot and feels sexy performing, wrote Napoli's. He also sexualized fellow drag kid Queen Leticia. We do not approve the statements and have written to WordPress several times, but they have yet to remove it. It is highly inappropriate to speak of minors in this manner. The woman continues turning her attention to conservative media. Napoleon blasted first the conservative press to currently accusing us of purposely attracting pedophiles and accusing the LGBTQ community of supporting this, she claimed. What Tom O'Carroll has said is out of your, our control and we do not know him or associate with him or any other pedophile or sex offender. I think if a pedophile wants to act on their urges, no child is safe. Napoli's went on to claim that her preteen son is never sexualized while performing in drag. Desmond does not move in a sexual manner or strip at all. He has done costume reveals that reveal a fully covered costume underneath. He's never scantily clad or nearly naked and always is age appropriate. What?! He does celebrity impersonation, does not choose to, to do sexy celebrities. However, Desmond's parents made waves last year when the drag kid performed a dance number at a gay bar. As he removed his jacket and bounced around the stage, howling men handed him dollar bills. The jaw-dropping event captured on video sparked backlash from the public, calling attention to police seemingly engaging in the sexualization of her own child, such as drag performances. The young boy's website has a link to bookings, for example. Desmond does not feel sexy in drag, the boy's mother wrote. What he said is that at times in drag he feels like a boy and a girl at the same time. This isn't to mean that Desmond is confused about his gender. He identifies as a boy and uses the pronoun he, him, his, even in drag. To Desmond, drag is dressing up into a character, performing an expression of oneself through art. Napoleon's claimed her son is an actor and a model. Desmond loves what he does and is never forced to do anything. He chooses everything from his costume to makeup and songs, etc. The mother then started discussing her 11-year-old son's sexuality. Claiming Desmond came out as gay when he was 11. Although honestly, we knew before then. He got some sex crushes that he would tell me about. Desmond knows the difference between a heterosexual and homosexual. Just because he identifies as gay does not mean he is sexually active or wants to be. He knows what sex is. He's in middle school and he had sex education class. Apparently, he said all the kids giggled through the whole course. Anyone discussing anything remotely sexual on Desmond's social media is immediately blocked and reported. We are just appalled at this whole situation. Desmond has been pushed as an LGBT advocate, telling the Daily Beast in an interview last year. He's happy to help the LGBT community fight for our rights, knowing that his parents love what he does. It's really amazing. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. The Daily Wire recap just some of the fawning media coverage. Desmond was promoted by NBC Today show in June. Meet the 10-year-old drag kid taking over social media with inspiring message. Reads the caption video on Desmond left-wing site The Daily Beast gushed over Desmond Drag. His progressive parents, a disturbing piece from February titled RuPaul Loves Drag Kid, Desmond, You Will Too Fiercely. The young child has been relentlessly praised and promoted by drag queen RuPaul, the host of VH1's RuPaul Drag Races. When Desmond was just seven years old, he was featured in a music video for season six winner of RuPaul's Drag Race, Jinx Monsoon. In the video, Desmond dances on top of a bar in a red dress, long gloves, and jewelry. As an eight-year-old, the child was introduced on a New York City stage in full drag by actor Titus Burgess. I don't even know how to... 
don't need to respond to this. Every one of you out there are responding already. You're a terrible parent. If you let your child that young participate in gay stuff like that, drag, you're a piece of shit. You you send them to gay bars where they howl about them and give them dollar bills and you say pedophilia. The point is, normal sane Americans already see what you're doing with your child as pedophilia. You are sexualizing a child. I don't care how gay he is. He's 11. He should not be participating in any of this until he's of age. Those are adult functions. How the fuck did he even get in the gay bar is the question I have. You brought him in. Your mother... Zero. You're a piece of shit. Free From shows transgender woman getting Cuisinera she never had. Alternate title, Dude Gets His Cuisinera. Then we have Michael Byers. This is the latest thing. I guess the um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders to kick around anymore. It looks like President Trump deputy press secretary. Judd Deere is the one who's going to be refusing service because she's gay. Michael Byer, attention DC gays, if any of you see this man at a gay bar, I'm sorry, I thought it was a she, tell him he's not welcome. You don't get to work to oppress the LGBT community in your day job and then enjoy the nightlife. The LGBTQ community has fought for you. Hmm, how tolerant. You should be saying, hey, it's pretty cool we got a gay guy next to Trump. Maybe he'll make Trump less homophobic and transphobic. Oh, wait a minute. He's not homophobic and transphobic. He's just listening to the generals that we don't need trannies running around the army. You don't know who you are. You really can't fight a war. The next one cracks me the fuck up. It's so fucking awesome. Listen to this shit. Eater. I guess it's a website. My girlfriend isn't hungry. Menu items are thinly veiled misogyny. <laughs> It's become a trope that when a heterosexual couple is out on a date, the woman might say she's not that hungry, but proceeds to eat some of the man's food. Seems innocent enough, but complaints that these girlfriends must be pulling over one over on the boyfriend to snake commitment-free nachos has proliferated to a point where restaurants across the country are offering dishes and menus for the not-hungry date. Jessica Fletcher. Dear Lord, find a real thing to be upset about. I'm with her. What, what the fuck, Chuck? David Coran brings us to our Megan Rapinoe, U.S. Ford Megan Rapinoe and Alex Morgan's teacup celebration. I think I might have been upstage. That was next level. And on the English criticism of the teacup celebration, wah, wah, I don't think anyone truly believes we disrespect opponents. She didn't even play, but she's still the site of just everything. They, they want to push this dude chick or chick dude or whatever the fuck she is. She's not a gender not a so- woman soccer player. She's just a soccer player because she hates Trump. This is this is how we are. You hate Trump, you become somebody. You're a celebrity. The Ringer calls photo of radical Rapino American's flag now. Picture her celebrating, and she's the American flag. Article goes on to more bullshit that she said. Scientific American. Climate change is changing soccer, affecting where and when games are played, how athletes perform, and the fan experience. 
God, man. You and your fucking climate change shit. Henry Bushnell. This whole quote is the essence of rap and hoe. And what I always try to tell, that if she doesn't appreciate America, get out crowd. She, of course, explains it better than I or anybody else ever could. Megan Rapinoe is a walking protest. I think I'm particularly American and very deeply American. If you want to talk about the ideals that we stand for and what we were founded on, I think I'm extremely American, even though I fucking hate it when a GOP person's in the White House, and then I'm quiet as a church mouse as Obama shackles kids and blows up half of Pakistan. Yeah. But on the continued we don't want to reproduce level, because i got to speed this along, I know this is a long podcast, the Atlantic, you know, we've had, don't be a grandpa, don't let your grandparents have kids, uh, don't reproduce because it kills the planet, and we've had all these, now this is the new one. The Atlantic, marriage makes you lonely, abolish it. Unless you're gay. L.A. Entertainment, a controversial casting couch scene in Toy Story 2 has reportedly been deleted in home entertainment release. This likely means it also won't appear on streaming versions of the Disney launches as Disney+. Plus. The Toy Story 2 clip features Tom Hanks, Woody, interrupting a meeting between Stinky Pete and a Barbie doll inside a toy box. Pete, a villain, ogle strokes, suggestively talks to the dolls, and implies that he can get them parts in Toy Story 3. The deletion was first noted when Disney re-released the Toy Story. It's a fucking cartoon. I decided to do a Google search for um, handmaids. What countries represent handmaids? actually found an article like on the 18th fucking try five countries that mirror the fictional gilead anybody out there want to guess which is the number one country anybody oh the united states yeah you're right this is how they write it up and i'm gonna read it because then you got to read just one or two of the other ones to see how far they stretch on this one abortion has long been a hotly contested issue in America, but one that many considered settled with the Supreme Court ruling Roe v. Wade, which effectively legalized abortion in the country. More than four decades later, Roe Wade still stands, but reproductive rights in the U.S. are on shaky grounds in Ohio and Alabama and blah, 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 blah. So that's why they put it number one. Number two, Yemen. is one of the worst places in the world to be a woman. 2018 WE Global Gender Gap Index annual report that measures gender parity across education, health, economic participation, and political empowerment ranks the Middle Eastern nation dead last. Saudi Arabia. In 2011, activist Manan al-Sharif was arrested for driving her car. They ignore everything else that's happened. Nigeria. A violence against LGBTQIAQIAEIEIO people in common in Nigeria where homosexuality is outlawed under the Same-Sex Marriage Prohibition Act. El Salvador. 2007, Carmen Valen and Vasquez, pregnant after she had raped by her employer, suffered a miscarriage. The 18-year-old sought medical attention to a hospital where she experienced heavy bleeding and losing the baby. She was handcuffed to a bed. All this horrible shit. Center for Reproductive Rights reported all this horrible shit. But America was number one. Yeah. 
They had to do it. They just had to do it. So abortion makes us Gilead. Really. Legal abortion in America, but restrictions on when you can do the abortion makes us Gilead. You fucking people. To our crazy stories, California town wants to be sanctuary for gun owners. Needles, California. I just laughed my ass off on that one. Good for them. Indian man, 20, wakes up at his funeral after being pronounced dead by doctors. I swear to God, this is a real thing. Dude was in the middle of his funeral service. He popped up. The whole fucking place freaked the fuck out. And I guess they couldn't detect a pulse, but he was still alive. And then, I know this is mirroring our last podcast a lot, but this is just fucking crazy shit. I bit off his tongue. It was in my mouth. The man who survived a bear attack. It's a Russian school taker, uh, caretaker, Nikolai Ingrid. And he got attacked, so he just, as the bear was trying to beat his face, or eat his face, he literally bit his tongue off. I'm thinking in Russia, stay away from the bears. Yeah. Since we're super long, we're, we do not have a lighter fare today. But we're going to go straight on into our This is America so I can opine on the other side about America. And this is another example of CNN promoting Antifa. This one's extra special crispy. This is America. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. And this is America in 2019. Prove of fascism. No. Then you could consider yourself anti-fa if you chose to. So if you are opposed to fascism, yeah, I am. Then you are anti-fa because it's anti-fascism. Okay. That can be a lot, a lot of things. Let's say they're a really great programmer and they mm-hmm. have, you know, they can build a website to educate children. Mm-hmm. Do you think people deserve love? Anti-fa. <laughs> <laughs> so anti-fa is anti-fascism, but in the world of politics, where does it land on our left-right spectrum? It doesn't. So the political compass is more like a square that I use. Go down to the bottom left. That's where you find anarcho-communism, which is the political ideology I have now. Mm Anarcho-communism. No leaders, like, no hierarchies. If you go to the top right, that's where you find, like, fascism. Where's, like, a I'm with her Hillary Democrat? Probably the left of center, like, a little bit, as opposed to, like, a right of center, more, like, trying to think of who's a moderate Republican. Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the last time we had a, a true moderate Republican. Hmm. Uh, so <laughs> now we have to talk about the stuff you see on the news. And, you know, specifically, like, you've actually at times had to get out there and get and mix it up. What was it like? So I went to visit this protest in Portland. There was a 
was like the Proud Boys and this group called ACT. It's anti-Islamic. Uh -huh. And this guy just ran at these two girls. And so they were both wearing hijabs and he definitely looked like he was gonna like hit them, jump on them. Yeah. I didn't really even think about it. I jumped like at him, but I, I picked him up like off the ground and I threw him on the ground and then I just jumped on him and I started like punching him. It's not easy to imagine you in the streets punching a proud boy in the face <laughs> <laughs> which which doesn't mean i don't believe you would do it you know how you sort of frame people mm -hmm. as like this is what i'm expecting this is what this person is going to be and then to sit here with you right now it's like it's not what i imagine oh i love that these are uh i know i like that <laughs> can i put yeah. time on? i want to ask you want to ask wow and this is a uh, okay. i usually have a couple of those on me just in case just uh, just in case I use it for whatever I need to use it for. Point taken. Mm -hmm. In other words, stay in line, come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it friendly. <laughs> so you have a bag of things. I do. I have. Let's see this. Let's do show and tell, and show including and tell. the mask. Your mask. Right? I do. Yeah. So this is good for masking up. This is what a lot of people use. It's just like a black bandana. Wear it like this. Okay. Um. So it's funny. My heart elevated just as you started. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is something happening? <laughs> um. Ah, here we go. So these are some of the flyers. Oh, so this is the thing you put up around neighborhoods. Yeah, this guy works for ICE, grabbing kids, taking them away from their families, whatever. So I dox, and for people who don't know what doxing is, it's basically like you post people's public information or you make them known to people. Are you not afraid that somebody from the other side is going to see that and go, but <laughs> I'm going to dox you? Well, they can go for it. You could have shown up today you know, masked up yeah. so that we don't see your face. So there's a little bit more plausible deniability or yeah. anonymity. The way. I, I could have. It's never made me stop before. So I'm just going to block out this person's yeah. face. But just to yeah. know, have you seen this person getting coffee in your neighborhood or on your bus? This person is part of the privatized immigration detention system. They are modern day Nazi putting people, including children, in concentration camps. Be on the lookout. Some people are going to say that that kind of like saying they are a modern day Nazi, that it's like, it's, it's inflammatory. It's, it's inflammatory. It's yeah. like concentration camps, that's too over the top. It is inflammatory because it is extreme. It's a terrible thing that's happening. So the argument from people on the left and the right, but even the left is going to be like, these are just people who have jobs and are trying to have a living and they're just trying to support their families. And, and I mean, I definitely understand that. But the thing is, white, you know, cisgender you know, heterosexual men, I want you to know that eventually fascists will come for you too. You know, once they've come for everyone else and your privilege won't protect you forever, even though right now it seems like it will. Yeah, just before I wrap it up, I just want to say, <laughs> Tucker Carlson. <laughs>
And that's the point of it that disgusts me. I've said it on the show before, but there's a lot of new listeners, so I repeat myself, and for the old listeners, I know it gets tiresome, but, um, you know, when I got out of the Army, or close to it, I registered to vote for the 2004 election in Tennessee, because we were going to stay. So when I came back on one of my trips, I registered, and then I voted. I was home for Thanksgiving. And I'm not a Republican. I'm an independent. I think I'm liberal on some things. I'm conservative on others. People listening to the show might not agree with it, but I didn't see myself as GOP or Dem. But the time I went to a, you know, register locally because I was absenteeing in Oregon, which means my votes were never counted. I couldn't be a Democrat because at that time they weren't financing the war. They had spent years, eight years, under Clinton saying. Saddam Hussein had WMDs, and then when there weren't any WMDs, they said Bush lied, people died. And then every time we ran out of money, they'd go in, they'd grandstand, they'd call the protesters like uh, tea partiers, you know, were freaking astroturf, and, you know, all those lines I say that, you know, dissent is the highest form of patriotism. So in Tennessee, you got to pick one. I pissed GOP because I wasn't going to vote in the primaries. I was just going to vote for the general election and for president, basically. Nothing's changed from that time period. We are 15 years down the road, and they still, as their benchmark, are America sucks. Everything's horrible. We're racist pieces of shit. I mean, there's nothing they can find to run on in an election to say America is good. I mean, Obama tried. He ran with that little speech he did at the 2004 uh, convention that we're not a red America, we're not a blue America, we're America. And then he went out and ran on a whole campaign that you didn't build this, you suck, everybody's racist. And then he sat on the bully pulpit for eight months saying that if you go back to those Republicans, you're going to end up in the ditch because everything they do is wrong and racist and horrible and we're right. I'm smarter than you. Shut the fuck up. Elections have consequences. Uh, That's what he did. But that's their shtick. And yesterday, back in the time when people were adults and political parties had days they put down their fucking knives and they just... We're Americans, like the 4th of July. They couldn't stand that he was going to salute the military. He was going to do flyovers. That He was going to have some static display of tanks. Bradley fighting vehicles. And they didn't show up. They dogged it in the media. They dogged it on Twitter. They talked about allowing the whole world to come over the border, but this was a waste of money after spending $35 million on a Mueller report that found nothing. They even use that as a reference. And it's hard for me to even stare at these people because I'm a lot like some of the stuff we read today. I couldn't stand Obama by the year second term. I thought he was horrible for America. Everything was racist. He inserted himself in things he shouldn't have. His foreign policy was feckless and we were losing in Iraq again because we gave it back to him. Afghanistan was mired into nothing because he spent all his time nuking fucking villages in fucking western Pakistan. Or as he said, Pakistan. But I didn't burn a flag. 
I didn't say America sucks. I didn't go to Twitter on 4th of July and say America's a horrible country. I didn't protest a Betsy Ross flag. I didn't burn flags. I disagreed with the policies. I disagreed with people who were voting for them, but I didn't hate them. I had a neighbor that was so Obama, they lived the Obama way, all on the dole. They found every way to make money. They didn't work. They loved him because he was good for them. They made a lot of money, and you know the guy was just me. He was the same as me. He sat, found a loophole in a college support thing, and he stayed home, went to class once a week, and lived off his disability, which he really wasn't disabled. Not like me, at least. His pension, and this college money he was getting. Didn't hold a job. I didn't hate them. I disagreed. We were still, hey, how you doing at the fucking mailbox? That all turned in 2016. Now those kind of people wouldn't talk to you. Because you're evil. And I have a hard time looking at those people. Because I don't see what they see. Objectively, I still remember what it was like in other countries, how horrible it was, and how lucky we are to be born in this country, how great this country is. And if Democrats for one day, the media for one day, can't carry a salute to the country, which was majority the military, if you actually watched it, I don't even know what to say to you. It's one day a year to stop. I did that tweet that it was nice to see after 19 years of war, somebody salute the military. A guy literally tweeted, I guess Veterans Day, Memorial Day, and Armed Forces Day isn't good enough. My response that got viral was, well, having a barbecue or for most of the people, planning your next Antifa attack or resist protest is not recognizing the media or the military. You're just not recognizing the military. But how you can't do that for one day shocks me. You would think there'd be repercussions for that in the polls and in the election booth. Because I know for me, there will be. I didn't see what he did was political, and I didn't see what he was doing was wrong. It was a salute to America. You may not like him, but it's a salute to America. If Obama had done it, I would have watched it. I actually would have said, hey, look at him. He's actually not using the military as a fucking prop for his election campaign, a la... I killed Bin Laden. He's just saluting the troops. And then to come on the other side and say there was nobody there, it was terrible, horrible, he fucked up on a speech, he's a piece of shit. It's like everything we cover on these podcasts, every fucking podcast. It's no longer ideological differences. It's straight up TDS. Trump derangement syndrome. And I think anybody who's been with the show a long time, I am not a Trump fan. I like how he talks shit to people, can't stand his Twitter shit. But I would honestly say he is a patriot. How could he not be? He's a nobody who just got born by the right family who's a gazillionaire. 
He is just like Beyonce and Jay-Z. Yet Beyonce and Jay-Z say America sucks, a country that allows them to have all that money and wealth and notoriety. Trump doesn't do that. So if you can't put it down for one day, if your idea of the 4th of July is everything's racist, everything we've ever held dear, every concept, every song, I don't know why you live here. I know that's a a, a trope. Well, then move. Well, I don't know why you would live in a country that's that bad. I don't know why you'd want to be here. If America's so bad, why are you here? And as a media member, if America's so jacked the fuck up, why are you even a reporter? There's got to be a moment we stop. There's got to be a moment that the divisive partisan politics that we have just stops. And you just for one second go, you know what? Regardless of the direction of the country right now, we're still the best shit ever. But I don't think they have a frame of reference. They never left the country other than Canada or Mexico. They don't know how good they have it. All they know is to get people to the polls, they got to make everybody the devil. So they do it on every day, every holiday. And it's now no longer dissent. It's fucking un-American. If you couldn't look at that event and just for 10 seconds that day, not go to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or to CNN and say America is a steaming pile of shit. Once again, why do you live here? Because I know me, a person of conviction, I would kit the fuck up and move. I wouldn't have lived in Oman. I wouldn't live in Iraq. I would not live in Afghanistan. I would not live in Qatar. I would not live in Kuwait. I wouldn't live in Korea, though I love it. Because on my journeys, Ireland, Germany, Japan, I realized we have it really, really good. And every day we should wake up and be thankful that we live here. This podcast, though long, a lot of sound bites, disconjoined and jumped around a lot of subjects because I want to hit them. You know, folks, it's just sad that this is our country right now. This is how far partisan politics has gotten. That we're this divisive. That July 4th, 2019, all we talked about was Tiananmen Square, Russians, Nazis, North Korea, And Betsy Ross is a fucking racist. Shame on all of you. So this wraps up another episode of Flower Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments or suggestions for segments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOPpodcast at gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast, which still is cranking out a lot of listens. I never heard of it. I'm glad it's there. 
Check us out on our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and our Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. Our next podcast, I'm going to take a break. I got a lot of appointments this week for the wife, and I got a lot of stuff to get done, and I've done more podcasts than I thought I was going to do, which is pretty damn cool. We're going to shoot for uh, the 11th, the 11th of July, year of our Lord, 2019, for our next podcast. Until then, enjoy your extended weekend. Have you got that? Stay cool because it's hot as hell here and dodge the fireworks of lightning for Mother Lacer because I know down here where I'm at, man, we're getting pop-up storms that are just no joke. As always, disconnect from your devices. Do not give the yeah, yeahs. Give your family their, your undivided attention because soon, if they're little kids, they're going to be gone. And in the case of my daughter, they're going to hate you. And in the case of my son... They're going to forget you even exist, except for holidays. That's when he remembers us. (laughs) As always, folks, thanks for listening, and you take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.